1: Talk about the game, fam. So, who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it.
0: Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, and we're reviewing all of the week 15 NFL action, another crazy week, Sam, and it started Saturday night, so we'll go back, it started Thursday, Thursday night, really. Uh, we have not covered that Chiefs-Chargers game, so we'll touch on that, and uh, despite all that action, still four more games to go, with two Monday games and two
1: Tuesday games. How you doing? Eh. All right. <laughs> Better yeah. now than I was, you know, yesterday when I was pretty much man down on the couch just trying to survive the day, let alone, uh, you know, pay attention to what was going on. Somebody sent me a message on Twitter like, no tweets today? Like, dude, I'm just trying to, like, keep sucking in oxygen today, let alone, like, you know. That's good. You back you back to normal now? Ish? Yeah, close. Good. We're there, We're, you know, more or less.
0: Well, Merry, Merry Christmas week. I'm going to be festive. With this the big week. moose jumper. Yeah, got a big, big moose. How is that Christmassy? I don't know. It's red with a moose, and is a moose Christmassy? Eh, you could you could make that argument. How winter? You see moose in winter. I don't have a good reason, but it's bright red, and here we are. I'll have a better Christmas sweater maybe later in the week. Okay. And I'll have the uh, the T-shirt that you gave me at some point as well. Anyway, let's get through all of the action. But before we do, uh, charity update. We've got uh, we're raising money for the Kentucky relief effort, and it's all on. Our Twitter accounts and we're and the, starting to raise uh, some money here.
1: Yeah, and the official podcast Twitter account uh, at and, uh, at PFF NFL Pod. Uh, we're up to fifteen hundred and seventy dollars. Our initial goal is two thousand, but obviously we'll take whatever you good people are willing to donate our way. We still haven't decided what we're doing for this. Is that right? Um, yeah, we will figure that out quickly, and then we've got ideas for the next one as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the more money we can get for this, the better, obviously this is, it's a weird one. And this is an acute need thing as opposed to, you know, the animals are always going to be there. Right.
0: We, uh, we had to pivot quickly and say, look, we're not waiting. We're just going to get into this. Um, so it's charity drive 5.0 over $1,500. We appreciate everybody who's already donated and it's all going to
1: a good cause down in Kentucky. After that, uh, tornado ravaged the area. That brings our total by the way, for like five charity drives to almost 14 grand, I think. Yeah, Just that's crazy. crazy. Started out kind of on a whim and then we realized uh how cool it was that it all started of our listeners out because are, I yeah. wanted to see you rock a fro for a show and you said that you would do that for a thousand dollars. And I was like, I think I can raise a thousand dollars. We got enough good listeners that would be willing to see that you know, yeah. So we it, raised a grant, and then since and then, then I said
0: I don't want thousand dollars. I got to give it to my friends. Right. And over then at since Heritage then House. we've just
1: been raising money for good causes, and we're up to fourteen grand now, which is just nuts. Like my initial plan was maybe if we could get to ten grand in a calendar year, that would be a really cool thing to be able to do. We're at fifth, we're at almost fourteen grand in six months.
0: of yeah, Doing this, we've exceeded it, and uh, we keep going. So again, appreciate all of our listeners who have been a huge part of that. Uh, let's get into all of the Week 15 games. So Thursday night, we had a, an excellent game. Kansas City Chiefs at the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chiefs moved to 10-4. and four. At the time, we knew, okay, you know, they're technically the number one seed, but the Tennessee Titans are still in control when it comes to that. Now we know the t- Titans lost. So now, after this win, Chiefs are back on top and in line to get a bye in the AFC for the second straight year and it was an impressive comeback. And, you know, they're down in the second half, 28 to 21. They come back to tie it with about a minute left. I mean, it was back and forth the entire second half, really. Um, but earlier on, two-point conversion to tie it up, another touchdown to tie it up. And then the game winner in overtime, a walk-off, Travis Kelsey, 34-yard touchdown, weaving through the Chargers' defense. Uh, the big story from an analytics standpoint was Brandon Staley going for it on a million fourth downs. What were your takeaways oh, people in this got so game? so pissed off. Yeah, they really
1: did. I mean, I tweeted at the time that, like, it's such a bummer when these analytically driven or even just aggressive, like people. some people have made the point that Brandon Staley isn't even at the forefront of the sort of go for it when you should um, numbers. Like, there are coaches that are way more – dialed in to what the quote-unquote analytics say in terms of when you should go for it than Brandon Staley he has been this year more just pure aggressive than you know by the numbers right he's been going for it more often when you shouldn't necessarily go for it having said that this was not one of those occasions pretty much every fourth down decision he made in this game was one where every model remember they're not all the same right there are depending on what's in the model, depending on what they factor, all these different things, each one of these fourth-down, go-for-it-or-not models is slightly different. All of them agreed that Brandon Staley was making the right calls here. And despite that, like, he was just catching the wrong end of this thing. And remember, like, Donald Parham caught the ball on fourth down, and then when his head bounced off the turf, it came out, and that's an incomplete pass, and then the poor guy is concussed and has to get taken to hospital, That's one of your fourth down decisions. So when you're like, oh, this is a ridiculous call, like they basically completed that ball, and then a freak injury of the dude landing with his head bouncing off the turf changes it from great call, touchdown, to you idiot. What are you doing going for a fourth down? Take your points. So I tweeted it's basically just a bummer when, like, one of these teams that's really aggressive doesn't convert because all of a sudden you get the, you know, the Phil Sims of the world banging on about, well, the analytics say this, and, you know, idiots – and it's just—it's too easy for all these dinosaurs to pull out the uh, the takes of how dumb it is. It's just annoying. Uh, Chris Long was
0: tweeting yesterday too. He, you know, you kind of—he's—he's he's saying basically, I'm tired of the uh, the battle, right? Because now sure. you've got uh, hashtag analytics Twitter, uh, you know. Every single time there's a good decision or a bad decision, it's just like, you know, going crazy, you know, arguing about it. And you have dinosaur Twitter basically saying, oh, no, you know, you can't you can't use spreadsheets and all this stuff. The argument is tiresome. I will say, yes, um, you know, Troy Aikman always like kind of references the analytics.
1: Everybody right? does. See, that's the annoying thing at this point is that everybody, nobody involved in the broadcast has any earthly idea what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff. So everybody just references this quote-unquote, well, the analytics probably says to go for it here without actually knowing whether it does or not, right? Why is it so hard? If every coach in the NFL can have a dude in his ear telling him when they should go for it or not, how is it so hard to have a guy in the announcer's ear to say this the numbers should but, say go for it or not here. But here's so that the you're difference. not just vaguely referencing, well, the analytics probably says go for it on fourth and 82 from your own six-yard line. Like, but, Troy it does, but Troy
0: has a model that is being fed to him, and that's why he's saying the analytics say to go. I would say the difference when you hear Troy talking about it and say the boss, Chris Collinsworth, like Chris, Chris has taken the time to kind of understand this right. stuff. And he also has someone in his ear using our model, you know, kind of giving him information, Every right?
1: single broadcast should have that.
0: Yes. And so when uh, our friend Phil Sims and Troy Aikman, you know, guys that we've, uh, we've associated with all those guys through the years, like when they go out talking about it, like this should be a part of their preparation. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been around Chris for a few years now, and we know how much on a Sunday night game he spends the entire week learning everything he can about the two teams that he's about to, you know, call, the yeah. game he's about to call. Part of that preparation should be understanding these fourth down decisions, whether it's the, you know, go for two and you're down seven and all these different things that that come up. Um, and I'll be honest too, like the idea of um, not all, you know, go, going for two earlier instead of waiting until the last minute and all that stuff, like that's relatively new for me, like over the last couple of years, yeah. you know what I mean? Like a lot of these things are somewhat new and it's not just like some crazy Excel spreadsheet. It's like, all right, let's Let's learn a little bit more about this. This
1: was, this was a really interesting one as well because um, because they kept failing on them. And it wasn't like they didn't fail on all of them, right? They converted some of these fourth downs. But because they kept failing on them in really high leverage, important situations, there is an interesting argument that comes up that you know smart football people were making of – how many do you need to screw up before it has a detrimental effect to the team overall, right? And the next one, you should take the point simply because if you crap out again, like that is not helping the morale of everybody on the team just watching you drive and then end up with nothing, right, time after time. And, you know, if anybody follows on Twitter, Coach Vass, you know, one of the smartest uh, defensive football minds out there in particular, he was making that point, right? Like how many times do you need to come up with nothing before – The next one, it's no longer what the numbers say it is, right? Because you're not factoring in this detrimental effect on morale of having missed on the last three or whatever. I think there's an interesting discussion to be had there. But, like, ultimately, what was fascinating about this is that from a Chargers point of view, this is who they've been all season long. And sometimes it's worked out in their favor. Sometimes it hasn't. And sometimes it's kind of split the middle. Um, But, like, the reason they were doing this is – This is the Chiefs. And for the first time in a long time, we saw that this offense can still kind of catch fire and torch you in a very short order. Like, late in the game, this was a 14-13 game, and I'm, like, preparing tweets about... You know the average that the Chiefs' offense has put up against teams that aren't the Raiders in the last you know eight yeah, weeks. It was like twelve. Right, it was nothing. And then, yeah. then all of a sudden they rack up like another twenty points in the, in the last few minutes. And There's you're a, like, oh, okay. There was a sixty-nine yarder
0: to Travis Kelsey where Mahomes gets out the po- out of the pocket, gets the ball to Kelsey. He runs through the defense, gets tackled at the one. They come back with a one-yard touchdown to Tyree Kill. That was the thing that kind of set this thing in motion really for the Chiefs as far as the comeback goes because they they get the two-point conversion, they tie it at 21, then the Chargers drive back down, they score a touchdown, get the extra point, and then the Chiefs answer once again with with a touchdown drive of their own and then the walk-off in overtime. So uh, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, I, I think it was 83% of their of patrick mahomes 410 passing yards that was old school chiefs where kelsey and tyreek just kind of take over the chargers uh, you know again for all the forward looking stuff i think staley was doing just didn't have answers for those top two guys that i'm not saying that the nfl had figured out how to take them out or whatever but they had certainly slowed down tyreek hill uh compared to what he had done from an explosive play standpoint um and the Chargers
1: just could not tackle either. What's interesting though is that again, the Chargers did not use those two high looks that that have been the thing. Now, look, what's what's really fascinating to me about the Chiefs right now is that I wonder how much of what was going wrong for them was simply a a rut of confidence, right? They had been caused problems and all of a sudden they were in this really bad headspace where as soon as something went wrong you could almost see them mentally start to break in a game. This was, Remember the Giants game, right? They drove right down the field on the first drive. Everything looked like old-school Chiefs, albeit patient. They The Giants were taking away the deep stuff. They just went, marched down the field with a series of short, patient, underneath, you know, minimal plays, and then one mistake in the end zone, right? And yeah. all of a sudden, you could almost see them entirely just, like, shatter, like a piece of glass. They just... Collapsed, and then from that moment on, that game was like, "Oh no, we're this is it's it's happening again, right? We're in this horrible situation, and we don't know the way out." Um, and that's been the case like all the way through the year, and a lot of it has been against these two high looks, and then you have teams like the Raiders who just roll in there, going, "Well, we play cover one, cover three, so we're not rolling with that." And boom, like forty-five points later, the the Chargers did the same thing; they ran cover one on basically the entirety of their defensive snaps. I. I do wonder, like, how many of those games do the Chiefs need just to get, like, the confidence back? And then then the next team that rolls in there with a bunch of, like, too high looks that would ordinarily have caused them real problems, does it even work anymore? Because all of a sudden they're back in terms of confidence. Everything's clicking. Mahomes is working outside of structure again. Like, Kelsey and and, uh, Tyreek Hill are uncoverable once the, the play breaks down. And part of the reason that the too high looks were causing issues before is because everybody was making mistakes if everybody's got their swag back that might not be an issue anymore
0: and it was still a weird game though like Mahomes, he looked like i was i was half joking that he's got the yips thrown to the flat in this game just throw to the flat you know an easy throw um on fourth and one so don't forget the chiefs also had their own fourth down decision fourth and one fourth and goal from the one they call a good play. I think it was a Hard, uh, Hardman open in the flat, and Mahomes just couldn't get a grip on the ball and bounces it wide open touchdown. Uh, later, throwing to the flat, you've got uh, Uchenna and Wosu who had almost intercepted a swing pass earlier in the game, actually intercepts yeah. a pass earlier in the game, and I want to circle back to that because that ha- that was after uh, a failed fourth down that left the Chiefs. It, with bad field position and eventually led to another Chargers win, which again is kind of factored into all of the uh, hashtag analytics from the Chargers. So it wasn't like this completely smooth game to your point. It was 1413 into the fourth quarter, but you had a few big plays with, with Kelsey, you know, Kelsey had over a hundred yards after the catch yeah. in this game, but that, that, that is the positive sign for the chiefs. Um, and even though the, the defense didn't hold up the way they had previously, they, they made just enough stops in the end. And, um, you know, Justin Herbert played another good game, too. They had three or four passes dropped in the end zone. You mentioned Donald Parham, where he got hurt on that particular play, but there were other passes. Jared Cook should have had a walk-in touchdown as well. Um, so just a, an incredible back-and-forth game here. The the fourth-and-one decisions, here. I, I just want to go back to those really quick here because it wasn't all fourth-and-one, but it was fourth down. The only one that I kind of questioned was at the end of the half. right? Only because you don't get that bump from – Field position. So it's fourth and three for a fourth and goal from the three or whatever it was at the time. And part of the calculation here is if you don't get it, the other team's got to drive 97 yards. You don't get that at the end of the half. It's literally, I'm going to get either seven points here, I'm going to get, or I'm going to get three points, or I'm going to get zero. There's three options. So you kick a field goal, you can not get it and get zero, or you can go for it and get it and get the seven. That was the only one. And the reason why this particular game is being used as like the anti analytics. You know, the anti aggressive, whatever. The Chargers had four opportunities to kick a field goal. Now, not all, of them, not all of them were gimmies. A couple of them were gimmies. One was like a 46 yarder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had four opportunities. And of course, they lose in overtime. So you're thinking if they just had three points, and it's true, like if they did have three points one other time, they probably, probably win the game. But you don't, under, you don't know how the other flow goes and all that stuff. And then the one time they finally make it on fourth and one, they fumble lose it a little bit later, and then it's like, okay, you really did come away with zero points. But then the Chiefs came back and threw an interception, and they got seven out of it. You know what I mean? So there's so much dependency on, on, on other stuff here. So um, this was people were looking at this game, though, because there was also just a lot of opportunities. And I, I respect Staley for kind of like sticking to yeah. what the numbers say. We've seen in other times and just coaches as, get and,
1: scared. And sticking to his guns. Yeah. Except after the game, look, this is the way we're going to play here. I, you know, I'm not, we're not stopping just because people whinge about it after the game. Like, this is what we signed up to. We know that we're going to play in this aggressive way. And he's treating it like, you know, a poker game or like as long as I get my money in um, with the best of it every time, sometimes you're going to go on a crappy run, right? Where you're not going to get the payoff. You're going to end up on the bad end of variance and you're going to be in the hole. But long term, that is the way. Of doing things correctly, he just has to hope that he is good enough at everything else to survive long enough to get the the long term payoff of that strategy.
0: This makes me wonder too, if if teams are going to go for it more, um, how important just like how much more practice time third, you know, third and short is important too, but third and fourth and short, how much more time do you have to dedicate to that because these are these are high leverage plays. Yes, and I would say the difference because. These plays were huge in the Patriots-Colts game that we're going to talk about in a second here. The Colts kept converting theirs with QB sneaks, with uh, Carson Wentz. How important are these plays going to be in the future of the nfl where you have to have this entire package you have to have your qb sneak game down you have to have your run plays off of that Uh, we'll talk about the bucks eventually where they're throwing you know 40 yard bombs on fourth and one that's not gonna pay off more often than not right Um, this is going to become a huge part of the nfl and teams i think that are best in short yardage even though it's a volatile uh, number as far as conversion goes You kind of have to have options on those fourth and ones so that you have good plays. And that's the one criticism, I would say, of the Chargers. They've run some low-percentage fourth-down plays, you know, through the year. You know, like little isolation hitch routes and stuff like that that are just low low probability, and that makes things a little bit worse.
1: Yeah, that is the other element with this, is that you need to start factoring in execution and play calling into the fourth-down decision. And, okay... The numbers say, the analytics says, the correct decision is go for it. Now, what is our play for here? Do we have one that we're really confident in working? And I don't know. I don't know what the process is for a lot of teams when they they've decided to go for it. What play are we calling on fourth and three? That obviously has to convert. Because yeah, a lot of these decisions. I have no problem with the the call to go for it or not, but the play that they've dialed up—not just the Chargers, but several teams throughout the year—you're like, that's just not a good play. Like that is clearly that is not a high percentage play for converting in this particular situation. And obviously, sometimes whatever you call in the huddle, like the defense is going to give you a look, and it, it's not favorable. You know, they've they've matched up well with whatever it is you're doing. But yes, like you need to have a whole battery of plays that you're really confident in working and be able to get to the correct one. And we saw this a bit with the Panthers yesterday as well. No kicker, right? So they're going for it on two or going for two every time they score, essentially. And like Some of these plays that you're running, they're like, that's a bad play to try and convert to pick up two yards. Like, yeah. You need to have something better than that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't know how, it, I don't know if this is going to actually become an edge, or if it's going to be like red zone defense, like, oh, we want to be good in the red zone, and it's like, well, you can't really choose to be good in the red zone. It just kind of fluctuates from year to year. Uh, but I do believe teams that are that do have better short yardage packages and plus the aggressiveness are going to be better off long term. But uh, the Chiefs uh, back in control, thirty four to twenty eight, good win, and uh, Chargers still in the playoff mix at eight and six. But man, that is a heartbreaker for them. Uh, because they were so close to uh, sweeping the Chiefs this year. By the way, all of the fourth down decisions that the Chargers made against the Chiefs the first time around did help them win, and it's helped them win in other games. It's going to go both ways, uh, obviously. Uh, Working from home is more important than ever. Optimize your home office with an X-chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X-chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, there's no going back. That's the DVL. It's all in the LMX Massage and Temperature Regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. This is what I love. Put the massage on, put the heater on in the morning, keep me nice and warm. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, my X-Chair fits any space, but I love it right at my home desk. High-performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. It's all the reasons I love my X-Chair, plus I put it together all by myself. Now, I can't wait to get back to work, and sometimes, even if I'm not working, I just sit in my chair. That's where I hang out. Go to Pod dot com right now. That's X Chair. That's X Chair nflpo dot Or call one eight four 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 X Chair for a hundred dollars off your order. X Chair has a thirty day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as thirty dollars a month. X Chair Pod dot com. Uh, that's uh, big X, big X that Austin likes to throw out there. On the uh, tailgate podcast, that's still how he's doing it. The big, I X so. chair. We need it. We need our own like call for it. Hmm. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description, or of course, right in front of your face. You can see all the different options. I might get that blue one if I had another shot here. I got the black one. I got the, I got the most expensive one, and it's comfortable, and it's got every,
1: like the headrest and the whole deal. So you can accessorize it and get whatever you want. There, to the best of my knowledge, we still haven't had any obscenely rich fan buy that monstrous massage chair, but god i hope somebody does yeah send us a picture if you spend <laughs> just you sitting in your giant cocoon massage chair if you spend six thousand dollars on that we'll give you a free two hundred dollar pff elite <laughs> how's that look at that thing the thing looks great i look there's a lot of people out there with way too much money and if you're one of those people and you listen to this podcast why wouldn't you buy, buy that these? thing because that would be incredible anyway
0: xchairnflpod.com. go ahead neil do it <laughs> do it neil buy it all right let's go to that saturday night chris chris listens chris yeah yeah chris you you should get one of those things Mm. just make sure you use our promo yes not like your own or anything like that actually no he doesn't have one just us in tailgate selling this thing um let's go to that saturday night game 27 to 17 the colts beat the patriots um as i was saying the the analytics in this game uh the colts kept going for it on fourth down uh, these were slightly different. I think they, they were. It was like in their own territory type of ones, right? So there's there's two there's two risks here with the fourth down decisions. There's are you going to leave three points on the table, or are you going to go in your own territory? Which is new. This is a new world. This is this is new for the NFL. Going for it in your own territory because you get that fear of uh, you know if you don't get it, you're going to have a, a short field for the opposing team, um, and then the Patriots. They had a fourth and goal, kind of a longer fourth and goal, down, down 14. Was it at the time? Sorry, it was 20 to seven, and 8:57 uh, left in the fourth, and they go for they go for a 25 yard field goal, and that was a kind of a questionable decision too, because you've got a Colts team that you just have not been able to stop, and then they didn't stop them. Um, but uh, the analytics had a, a factor in this game as well. But overall, this was a game where. Uh, The Colts did a really nice job on the ground, and they won with Carson Wentz going 5-for-12 for for 57 yards here. A little taste of their own medicine for the Patriots after they won a game with 14 passing yards.
1: Yeah, not just 5-for-12 for, for, like, no yards, but in in his 12 attempts, he had three turnover-worthy plays. Kept throwing it to the defense. Right, and and really was riding his luck. Like, at one point, Michael Pittman broke up an interception that J.C. Jackson would have had. Like, it was in his hands, and on a pass that was left behind... Pittman, who kept his arm back there, just just for this exact reason. Like, okay, I'm probably not going to be able to bring this in, but if I keep my hand here, I might make it difficult for the two chasing me to bring it in. So, Pittman saved Wentz with an interception. It, I mean, it was interesting. Like, uh, Wentz had three turnover-worthy plays, but only one interception. Um, Mac Jones had two turnover-worthy plays, two interceptions. So, I, okay, you know, Joneses were terrible as well. Like, just yeah, those were a couple of rookie moments for him. For Ping sure. the ball straight to a straight to a linebacker, um, and then it was perfect. You had the sort of the replay view was from like behind the linebacker, you saw the ball like coming right at him, plucks it out of the sky, and then Mac Jones went full like, <laughs> like what have I done? Yeah, horrible decision.
0: This um, was this was a great both interceptions. Uh, Bobby Okereke, mm-hmm. no longer Okereki. Yes. Um, we, every, every year around draft time, we're like, the Colts have a type. It's that big, you know, that long athletic linebacker. Both, both guys, Darius Leonard and uh, Okarake, fit that mold. And uh, it yeah. showed on both of those plays. Mac Jones misreading the middle of the field on the Darius Leonard interception. And then he was late to the flat, and
1: Okarake made the diving interceptions for those, those two turnover worthy plays. It's also funny how, um, you know, people go into games with narratives that they want to talk about. Um, whether it's as you're, whether you're the guy in the booth announcing it or whether you're just you know us wanting to talk about it before or after the game. And obviously you go into a game with the Patriots and Bill Belichick. It's like Bill Belichick takes away your number one threat. He's going to make sure that whatever you're best at doesn't beat you. And then you're, you're going to win using plan B or plan C. And for like the first drive or two, Jonathan Taylor basically didn't touch the ball. And everyone's like, see, look, Bill Belichick is taking away Jonathan Taylor. You're like, yeah, really? Maybe it was the Colts taking away Jonathan Taylor. Because from that point on, Jonathan Taylor was a pretty big freaking part of the game.
0: I mean, most of the time, Belichick takes away something from the pass game, to be honest. And I also think he doesn't overdo it.
1: Yeah, but by games. the end of it, Jonathan Taylor with 29 carries for 170 yeah. yards, a touchdown, and had like the bank-breaking play that put them back. That was out of sight.
0: That was a 67-yarder where the Patriots had uh, was it Hightower and McCordy both unblocked. He had, they had two unblocked. Hightower in particular. Blew. Hightower blew it. He overran his gap. But yeah, they had two guys either side of him. But they had two unblocked defenders. Uh, Taylor. Uh, cuz I was looking at the replay I'm like was this really well blocked up and it, like he had a little crease but I mean Taylor that, so, made yeah, that play happen that was like, impressive
1: It was blocked up blocked up enough to the point where Taylor was getting through to the second level but at the second level there were two unblocked defenders that had him pinned in either side Right and then should 4 or 5 yard game. just overruns it and he cuts back and then now he's got the free the entire field to run into Yeah that was uh, an impressive run by Jonathan Taylor 67 yarder to Which is uh, by the way seal a, the deal. a perfect example of why oh yes Jonathan Taylor has been on fire since the Colts' offensive line has gotten healthy, and they are paving the way for him to have huge gains. But this is a perfect example of how that works in tandem with why he's also been really good. The offensive line blocked that up perfectly for it to be a five to to nine-yard gain from a normal running back, right? That guy gets straight through the second level, so already you're talking about five kind of yards once contact is made. Let's say the running back's pretty good. He drags the tackler for another three or four. You get an eight, eight nine-yard gain out of that, right? What Taylor does is turn an eight-yard gain into a 67-yard gain with one move to take Hightower out of the game and boom, into space, free run the rest of the way. Like that, That's sort of how this relationship works, that without the offensive line blocking it up, he doesn't even make it as far as five yards downfield. But once that happens, the difference between the 8 yards and the 67 yards is all Taylor. I'm starting to
0: understand. I'm, look, I'm just looking at playoff tiebreakers. I think I'm starting to understand what's happening here. Um, forgive me for not knowing the exact tiebreak rules for the NFL. The Patriots, they, they moved to the number two seed here, by the way, because they have the head-to-head over the Tennessee Titans. I think what's happening in the NFC is there's a three-way tie, and that's where they default to that uh, best best record in conference games um, but yeah the Patriots on the other side their their rushing attack was slowed down Damian Harris missed the game mm-hmm. due to injury Ramondre Stevenson averaged under four yards per carry so the Colts did a really nice job up front there as well um, as far as Mac Jones he had those two mistakes he definitely missed a lot more throws than he usually does but would oh, man he threw an impressive touchdown to Hunter Henry in the re- two touchdowns to Hunter Henry but one Uh, that he just got out of the reach. I believe it was Darius Leonard, too, remember uh, while under pressure. I mean, Mac Jones still showed some poise in this
1: comeback attempt here. Particularly because the comeback attempt is the important point. Like, remember, they got down in a hurry, and all of a sudden the narrative was, oh, this guy that's been protected all game, like, now you're going to see Mac Jones for the bulk of the game in must-pass situations. Enjoy that, right? And you're like, everybody was essentially writing this off as a joke, before we ever got to see it. And okay, he didn't, you know, he didn't come all the way back, but he did make some throws. Like from a situation where you're like, "Oh, this is all of the benefits that Mac Jones has enjoyed up until this point in his season have all just evaporated and he's part of the reason that's happened because of those interceptions. Mac Jones is now going to have to carry this offense on his shoulders and execute a comeback. He did a pretty good job in that situation, and I think was definitely the better quarterback in this game. You know, Wentz, who's had this extremely clean brand of football, outside of a couple of games this year, was not good at all. So I, yeah, like Mac Jones, I think you have to be vaguely impressed with how he played in this game, notwithstanding a couple of hideous turnover-worthy plays.
0: Uh, Kenny Moore continues to make a ton of plays yeah. for the Colts. Man, he is uh, he is really good. We've highlighted him before on the show, but the role that he plays for the Colts. Last year, there was a particular game that stood out to me because on, like, three consecutive plays, he was, like, making a run stop, covering a tight end, and covering a speed receiver, right? Like, he does a ton for this Colts defense. You know, he, um, just all over the place, deserves some recognition. And I thought, you know, Frank Reich, he remained aggressive, as we were talking about. And, uh, you know, the Colts did a nice job in this game, controlling things. Dome was bumping, and... uh, Colts moved to eight and six here.
1: Jamie Collins continues to be amazing in New England and <laughs> terrible everywhere else. Just in New England, that's um, just how he does it. And Darius Leonard, frenemy of the show, is like a turnover machine this year. He is, dude. The pe- defenders have perfected that peanut punch, and I think it was Greg Olson in commentary at the time was like, "Did is is Charles Tillman getting royalties out of this? Because if he is, <laughs> the dude's like stock is exploding right now because all of a sudden everybody." is hitting on this. We saw it yesterday as well with uh, um, DeMarcus Lawrence in particular punching a, a ball out from Saquon Barkley. Defenders have gotten so good at this technique of going in and landing a fist right on the ball, but in such a way that you're still making the tackle at the same time. Like they're not... You see a lot of times where guys just go in there and they start trying to rip the ball, but they don't actually pay attention to tackling the guy. So if you miss, if you screw it up, if you don't get the ball out... You don't need to tackle him. And all of a sudden there's another like 10 yards of yards after the catch because you're not actually trying to take down the ball carrier. What defenders have gotten incredibly good at is landing that punch on the football, but also in the process of like a rap tackle where you're bringing him down anyway. Yeah.
0: Look, you always hear coach talk, t- coaches talk about emphasizing turnovers. But again, I mean, if you can, if there are certain ways that you could teach that, you know, better and better. It is such an advantage. Putting the ball on the ground is obviously such an advantage. Darius Leonard has five forced fumbles now. Had that interception. So, yeah, he has been turnover machine for the Colts. They moved to 8-6, and six, as I mentioned. So, the playoffs uh, in the AFC, the, the Patriots have the number two seed. Colts, as of right now, they're the five seed. Tied, because everybody was 7-6 and six coming into this week. The Bengals, Colts, Chargers, Bills, and Ravens are all 8-6 in the AFC. So uh, a lot a lot still to happen here over these last 3 weeks.
1: Everybody like as soon as you think one as soon as you think the playoffs are settled that everybody loses a game and changes the whole thing. Changes like, the whole thing. And they, and they have they're playing the Cardinals on uh, Christmas night here. This week the teams that kind of survived through not screwing up were Green Bay and Kansas City, the the number 1 seeds from last year. We're like set up to assume next week that these are the two number 1 seeds, they're both going to like lose a game randomly. You know, over Christmas or something to screw that up. They're well, they're well set up, both teams. Right, Chiefs but every time that's happened to a team so far, they lose to some ridiculous side and change everything again.
0: All right, before we get into the uh, the Sunday action, want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast? Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. You know what that day is. That's the day where there's that big football game. Don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash chris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash chris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, let's get into the Sunday action. Where are we going to start here? Let's go uh, Buffalo 31, Carolina Panthers 14. And uh, this one was kind of ugly, especially from a Panthers perspective. Cam Newton had 71 Rushing yards on 15 carries. Got in there for a touchdown. But the pass game, 18 of 38 for 156. That's right, only 156 yards. Four sacks for 32 yards. And a bunch of turnover-worthy plays. The last interception was just like, uh, the game was over, but Cam just threw it right to a defender. Um, Panthers struggling offensively
1: once again. Which we thought they probably would. Like th- this game was close for a lot longer than the scoreboard would indicate. I um, mean the D kept them close. I mean it wasn't like Buffalo's offense tore it up either. Yeah, yeah. I mean this I, I don't I don't think it's necessarily true to say that the scoreboard flatters Buffalo by the end, but it was a closer game than this for the majority of the game. Um what was fascinating to me in this game. So Carolina's kicker, Zane Gonzalez, injures himself in pregame warm-ups. Now, normally when that happens, there's some kind of contingency plan already in place, right? Like, okay, we've got some issues. We turn to the punter for whatever it is, right? Panthers held essentially open tryouts. Yeah, open tryouts is the emergency plan. In pregame. They were basically like, anybody on the roster, come on up try and attempt a field goal here from like 25 yards out and see if we have an emergency kicker on the roster that we didn't know about. So all of these kicks are on on film in this pregame warm-up of these guys like receivers and linebackers all running up and like shanking the kick, you know, into the bleachers somewhere trying to attempt a 25-yard field goal. It looked hilarious. Um, so essentially they didn't have a kicker. They had, I think, a wide receiver kicking off a couple of times for them basically didn't have any form of kicker that they could attempt field goals with. Every time they scored, they had to go for two points. Um, I, it was just kind of pretty funny. Uh, and that, so that was the situation they were in in this game. But realistically, this was the – like we saw the difference between the two teams. They, the Buffalo Bills are a very good side that if you cannot dominate them physically, you, you won't beat them. Um, The interesting thing is that a lot of those teams in the AFC that we said before are actually built in that way. Like there are a lot of teams in the AFC that do appear to be able to dominate them physically.
0: Yeah. The Colts did it a few weeks ago. That's why, you know, again, the Colts, it shows kind of how wide open that AFC is. The Colts and the Patriots played a playoff caliber game. Um, This wasn't necessarily a playoff caliber game. Buffalo had to, for Buffalo to be alive in the AFC East, they just had to come in here, take care of business. And that's where they are here. Now Buffalo's going to be looking forward to that. They got the rematch with New England coming up this week. Um, I think Josh Allen's got to play a little better. He threw an interception. He fumbled on a scramble as well. Wasn't necessarily his best effort, but man, can't remember if it was, I think it was a second touchdown. Just an absolute back shoulder laser beam
1: which was beautiful. Bill's mafia is exceptionally happy because um, Stephon Gilmore was essentially one-on-one with Stephon Diggs all game. Like, they, they basically had him shadowing him. And obviously, Gilmore, former Buffalo Bill, then, you know, hated rival New England Patriot, the, the, the linchpin of their defense for a number of years. Now he's in Carolina. They, they try and shadow him on Stephon Diggs, Buffalo's number one receiver, and Diggs won. Diggs got that touchdown he also like he had gave up i think um what did uh what did gilmore give up something like 50 yards but a couple of touchdowns yeah two touchdowns three uh another first down in there as well yeah so four four catches um from five targets 45 yards two touchdowns three first downs gilmore uh was beaten by stefan diggs so Bills fans, exceptionally happy about that. The last one, it's fourth and two. The
0: game's pretty much over. Buffalo up 10, but they go play action on fourth and two. And Gilmore, yeah, he, uh, he bit. Gabriel Davis had the two touchdowns. Uh, had two touchdowns in this one, including, the uh, again, that, that laser beam up the seam. One of my favorite throws of the entire week by Josh Allen. So, um, look, Carolina, man, a season where they tried to invest – as contenders, just starting to look worse and worse here, uh, because they're not—they fall to five and nine. They're actually by themselves in last place in the NFC South after starting three and zero. Yeah. So the Panthers, you know, they've they've lost some draft capital. They're going to be they're going to be an interesting discussion this off season, uh, in part because they—I
1: mean—the quarterback position completely wide open. Cam Newton has not played well. Well, it's wide since open. They picked him up, except they owe Sam Darnold like eighteen million dollars next year. Like, yeah. this is the awkward thing. The only The only sort of interesting element of the quarterback position in this game is that we did not see P.J. Walker. Like this idea of, oh, we might run this two-quarterback system and rotate may have just been like, hey, you have to prepare for P.J. Walker as well. Not that that means anything. Like, oh, no, we got to – what if P.J. plays in this game? Uh, I don't think anybody's scared about that in the the week leading up to the game. Anyway, didn't happen, so we saw a full Cam Newton game. But now you have – you owe Sam Darnold eighteen million dollars next year. You don't really owe Cam Newton anything, but on the other hand, is he like you? You don't have a quarterback, and yet you have eighteen million tied up in one. I mean, I would imagine is Darnold healthy
0: again yet? I would imagine we're going to see. I don't think we need look, Cam Newton has a forty nine passing grade in his time with the Panthers now, <laughs> including four starts and that. Um, That's the thing, like you, backup appearance. Sure, with the, you the might as
1: well throw Darnold out there, but on the other hand, what are you what are you getting out of that either?
0: Nothing really, except maybe just more reps and. I don't know. Uh, Panthers, they got some issues, I would say. Yeah. Because, uh, but they're going to be players in this quarterback market. They were aggressive in every single uh, discussion. Matthew Stafford to uh, uh, Deshaun Watson and all that stuff. So, I'm, so they're going to be players in that market. But they, you know, they got to fix that offensive line. They got a lot to do. Um, for the Bills, man, reading these tiebreakers is just hilarious. They're another one of those eight and six teams. Now things completely change. If they beat New England this week, of course they would both be uh, nine and six if the Bills can win. But right now the Bills are the seven seed because they win the tiebreak over Baltimore based off best win percentage in common games. <laughs> We're down to common games because we've got the five teams at eight and six. So Baltimore is the eight seed at eight and six. Cincinnati is the four seed at eight and six. Some things it's based off tiebreaker. Some it's conference games. Then it goes to common games. It's a whole ordeal. I mean, the Patriots game for them is their season. This, this is absolutely the Bills' season. Um, it's in New England. It's this uh, this Sunday, uh, day after Christmas. So, it's going to be huge, and we'll be previewing that on uh, Thursday as we preview all the games. But the Bills take care of business here, thirty-one to fourteen. Also taking care of business, the right. Detroit Lions, thirty to twelve.
1: you weren't even segueing into an ad. That was just into the next game. That's disappointing. Oh, let me. Is that, there, uh that would have been that would have been a high end transition. Not your habitat uh, landscape. I was going to wait. That would have actually been a really good one. But I was no, going to wait. You for... wasted it on the Detroit Lions. That's what you yeah. did.
0: Yeah, because they took they took care of business. That's they fine. Just, That's fine. That's Arizona came it. into their house and they took care of business and pushed them away. That's fine. That's you fine. picked you picked Arizona. I picked Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both got that very, very wrong. Oh yeah, we did. Thirty to twelve,
1: Lions win. Yeah. Uh huh. Of course, the Craig Reynolds show. What? We got that wrong to the tune of thirty-one points.
0: Yeah, not great. No, uh, Arizona. Uh, we mentioned I mentioned on the PFF NFL daily today. One of my takeaways, perhaps Arizona um, has been a little overrated. Look, since coming since coming back from injury, Kyler Murray has not been uh, as good as he was before. Him and Dak. Him and Dak both coming off injury. Nah, nah, not playing as clean a brand of football. Of course, there's no DeAndre Hopkins out there, but uh, Christian Kirk made some plays. Zach Ertz is a factor. AJ Green's still looking good, but it just wasn't happening for the Cardinals. Yeah, like a couple of their fourth downs where they just couldn't convert. And, it's and- so,
1: like, it's so stupid that like <laughs> the margin for error in NFL football games is so small; it's ridiculous. Like, and usually they go in the direction they're supposed to. Like, the better team gets more of the breaks, and that's the, that's how it works. And sometimes it just doesn't go that way. And like, this was one of those... You, when a game like this happens, right, and Arizona is favored by 13 points heading into it, and they end up getting their ass kicked to the tune of a 12 to 30 scoreline, something dramatically goes in, there, in the other direction. Like, a, a confluence of events all has to come together for that to happen. And it kind of went that way. Like, the Lions, to start the game, were executing these long, tedious drives of just chewing up the clock. Arizona ran three plays in the first quarter. So, essentially... The Lions had the ball the entire time. Arizona got the ball once, went three and out, and that was it. So you're immediately, Arizona just doesn't have the ball to work with on offense, and the Lions are putting up points. But you're getting towards the half, and it's only 10 nothing, and you're like, okay, this has been great. The Lions are like, this is a fantastic start for Detroit. But if you go in at like 10 nothing Arizona in the second half, you're like, uh, we know this is disappearing. Like, Arizona's going to come back. We're only talking about... A, two scores, right? Immediately this game flips. Um, but right before the half, Goff had this beautiful big-time throw for a touchdown, puts them up, you know, another touchdown, and all of a sudden now there's real pressure on Arizona. Because you go from 10 nothing to – did they get the extra – was it 17 nothing 17 nothing. Right, 17 yep. nothing at the half. Now you're in a hole. Like, th- now you've got some real problems, particularly because you haven't necessarily been able to stop Detroit working – and if they do that again, like if they chew up another quarter, you just don't have the time to get those points back. That play was only available.
0: It was a it was a beautiful post route to Josh Reynolds, who's who's been nice. You know, Reynolds and uh, Jared Goff, former teammates. You know, having a uh, working well together here uh, so far in Detroit. That play was only available because Detroit went for it on fourth and one. Yep, on the Arizona twenty-eight with t- with thirty-one seconds left here. So think about this situation here. This is another one which I thought was fascinating, right? So Dan Campbell decides to go forward. You have 31 seconds left. I, I believe part of this was, um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't know if this was a pure go because you only have 31 seconds left, right? If you kick a field goal, if you're Detroit, you kick a field goal, it's in a dome, you hit it, you go up 13 to nothing, to your point. Um, but I felt like they almost went for it just to make sure Arizona didn't have a chance to also get the ball back and you know two passes could put you into field goal range right? I think- pretty quickly even in just 30 seconds um i almost felt like they went for it just to kind of like control the ball and make sure that arizona didn't get the ball back in worst case you get it and then you're still probably going to get a field goal you know what i mean like the payoff going for it with 31 seconds left on the 28 the payoff is probably not a touchdown until Jared Goff throws a beautiful 22-yard pass to Josh Reynolds for the touchdown. So I'm just saying, like, those are two things that really went right, but that touchdown pass was fueled by Dan Campbell being aggressive there on that fourth and one. I
1: also think that Dan Campbell has shown repeatedly that he has this good understanding of the fact that his team is a significant underdog in every sure. game. Yeah. And getting three points there doesn't really do anything for you. Okay, you kick a field goal before the half. Now you're up 13 nothing, which is the same two scores that it was if you didn't kick the field goal and you're only up 10 nothing, Like, it doesn't change anything. Suddenly turning it into 17 nothing, I think that's significant. Like, that actually heaps some pressure on top of Arizona. If you just chewed up some time, even if you didn't, like, if you went for it, if you just kicked the field goal, whatever, going up an extra field goal I don't think changes the situation at all for them. Whereas Dan Campbell understands that, look, we are – A massive underdog to this team 13 points apparently heading into this game we need to actually heap some pressure on them and make them start to wilt in the face of it which we can only do by going up a third score and trying to cause them some issues like let's be aggressive because the only way we're winning this game is to keep the foot on the gas and try and build this lead i think he's done that consistently throughout the course of the year and has been a really impressive coaching job because of it but that's the kind of thing that you need to win this this type of game. Um, but then, like, and it, in this game, all of those things were going Detroit's way. You know, even later in the game when Arizona was finally starting to get something going on offense, you know, Kyler delivers an absolute dime for the, a touchdown. Antoine Wesley play? Yeah. Now, why you're targeting Antoine Wesley? You know, we can debate that. But perfect throw by Kyler, doesn't get given the touchdown. Um, why – what was why wasn't that given? Is it because <clears throat> I thought if your foot hits the pylon, it's in. Yeah. You got one I foot was, in, second foot hit the
0: pylon. It. Yeah, the six games were going, so I didn't hear right. the explanation. I mean I was mean, just I was trying like, not to die, so I wasn't you were trying not going to back die. And Figuring it out. It was a good week it was a good week for you, right? You all the Well, I mean I, I didn't die, so it's Well I'm saying uh on on Sunday afternoons where you're laid up it's only six one o'clock games, three, true. four o'clock games, you know, it was like an easier Easier intake of information. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but clearly the pylon's inbounds, but I still think you have to have two feet touch the ground is obviously what the ruling had to be. I did see a lot of people tweeting, oh, that should be a touchdown, that should be a touchdown. It was one of those, I have to go back, watch the other games, yeah. and I come back and it's like, oh, Detroit has the ball. They didn't count it. I mean, I see, It was on the, fourth down, too. The
1: re- yes. The replays were so clear that I assume it must have been correct. I just don't know why. Yeah. Does that make sense? We'll get uh, – we, Dean have we got Dean. We got our own rules analyst. We we can can get, I bet we could get Dean on here. I'm on yeah. some
0: calls with Dean every now and again throughout the week.
1: Or who's who? Who, who's, who does NBC have in there? Is it John Perry? John Perry. We get John in. Call yeah. up John.
0: Somebody's got his call. Chris, can you get John for us? Yeah, we got John as part of our rules expert. We should definitely have a whole segment.
1: We'll just let rules experts We go. just do it with, like, really low, low tech as well, right? We'll get them to, like, send us a voice memo <laughs> and just play it on the podcast. Yeah, on that play, you know, uh, you got to get
0: two feet in. The pylon doesn't count. It counts. It's in bounds, but it's not really one foot. Okay, thanks, John. There yeah. we go. That, that, that's what it'll look Perfect. like. Um, look, Im- impressive game for the Lions. They played the underdog role once again. And I would say, you know, we're going to talk about the Jaguars in a minute here.
1: Really screwing themselves out
0: of draft position, though, Detroit. They are. Um, Good year to do it, though. Yeah, I'm not sure if it matters. I think the quarterback class, they will still they still have a chance because the Jaguars are in number one contention here. The Lions are really competing with, say, the Texans, maybe for uh, for quarterbacks. And um, the Jags are back in the number one overall spot. They're probably not going to take they, long. they might, <laughs> Unless they're going to give up on Trevor Lawrence right now. Um, but it was a good, a good win by the Lions. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of what you said, too, sometimes – it's just fascinating, like the game flow when the Lions take up an entire quarter. They took up the entire first quarter, mm-hmm. and you start to feel that pressure on the other side to like make a few too many play you know, a few more plays and all that stuff. Kyler this forced is, a couple in there.
1: This is why I keep saying that that Baltimore offense is a really effective way of beating a team like the Chiefs, like a high octane offense that scores points at will. Like simply, simply removing a quarter of the game in one go. I think really heaps pressure on teams like that because you immediately make the point of you are not going to have an endless amount of time to get this done like if you get in a hole and you screw up once you've got some issues because we're going to take the next 15 minutes off the clock and you're you're only going to have a couple of shots to make this happen that i think throws a ton of pressure on these guys where normally if you're an offense, you're like, oh, a lot of ball game left. Don't worry about it. We got acres of time left to get this thing done. If you have a team that's all of a sudden capable of chewing 15 minutes off the clock with a drive, that dynamic changes immediately. Well, anytime you have Craig Reynolds out of Cootstown, who what has, by the way, the most awesome tattoo I've ever seen in my life. Have you seen his tattoo? I have not. He has turned his bicep. Where are we? I don't know. This bicep. Don't show your this bicep. This one. He has this bicep, right? Except it's his right one. This bicep. He's got it turned into a football, so he's got like the laces on the bicep, and then the I think he's got the two the col it's a college ball. I think he's got the two uh, stripes, and yeah. then the laces. It's he amazing. Should, he, he should, should add, color over the stripes no, now that he's We Indiana can only though. get that done if you've got the biceps, right? If you just if you didn't have the bicep, yeah. it's not going to look good.
0: Does he have the? So he's got like the four points of contact, so he'll never fumble. All at all times. So the football go. the so football he holds is the football his, bicep. On
1: his Awesome. That's great. It's a great, great tattoo.
0: I won't even make a reference to the other sport, like uh, my down connection. Uh Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I won't. Um, But this would be another in the the running backs don't matter discussion. Craig Reynolds comes out. He's got a rushing grade of 88.4 over the last two weeks, forced 10 missed tackles on 38 carries for the Lions. Not that Craig Reynolds doesn't matter. It's just that a guy that's played with multiple teams as an undrafted free agent can come in here and uh, I, I see a lot of the fantasy folks who didn't get a buy like I did. You know, A lot of the fantasy folks are like, what a crazy week. You can't predict it. But like, Craig Reynolds is the leading rusher in the NFL this week. So there you go. Mm. Craig Reynolds making plays. Well, look, they obviously the didn't factor in the tattoo to this. I didn't. If I knew, I would have. He's an immediate dynasty pickup if so I I'm knew he had a football tattoo. Speaking of dynasty pickups, tis the season. I don't know. This is nothing. No, to that was dynasty. terrible. Tis the season of giving. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a Christmas present you won't want to re-gift. New customers can bet just $5 on any of the four NFL teams playing on Christmas and win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. Why not win some green and put some extra jingle in your pocket? If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can uh, you can still play. Christmas can still be merry. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win on Christmas Day. And you win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. It's promo code PFF. This Christmas at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions. Apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Those Christmas games, by the way, we've got the Browns and Packers, and we've got the Colts and Cardinals. So a couple really good games to watch. And why don't you get uh, you know, a little extra interest over there at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code PFF this christmas
1: all right where are we going here for the next game there's a surprisingly uh disappointing uh number of craig reynolds pictures on google Oh, you really yeah i thought you know look if you're gonna have a tattoo as cool as that you think people would be all about you could fill that niche if you could just send it send them a dm or
0: something i get a Little photo of your bicep. I mean, look. If I had that tattoo, I
1: would spend the entire time like up like that, just taking photographs of it all the time. Yeah, like posing for every snap possible in that particular frame. There you go. Look, see. Wow, look at that former Jaguar. Now, look. That's not like that. Obviously, isn't the best pose for it. But when he's like when he's got the arm cocked and he's you know carrying a ball, it looks like a football. Yeah, yeah. The bicep pops and it looks exactly like a ball.
0: Yeah. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that we have a picture of it. That's if you're on audio, it's not great. Go check out YouTube. No, if you're on audio, you're out of luck. But Former Jaguar Craig Reynolds. Jaguars lose 30-16 to 16 God, against that. the Houston Texans. Transitions are amazing. They are. They are unstoppable. The uh, Man, the Jaguars did not get the uh, Darryl Bevel uh, coach bump. Hmm. They didn't get the interim coach bump. Yeah, it turns out Jacksonville might just be terrible. But uh, – the spread got up to five mm-hmm. this was this is actually interesting people were buying
1: like that's people how people were buying
0: that urban was so toxic <laughs>
1: that's how much people hated urban Meyer is that when he was out of there the line the Vegas line was swinging multiple points and remember like the only way that happens normally is when like a quarterback goes down. You know, that's what moves the line that amount is when a quarterback or like a COVID pandemic breaks out within the locker room and you're missing 15 players. No, Urban leaves the building and the line is immediately swinging in Jacksonville's favor, multiple points. That's how much people thought he was the problem there. Texans got up early. Yeah, Um,
0: you're right. I mean, we, we talked about it on the Daily a little bit and you were like, oh, no. Clearly, it's not all Urban Meyer, and I'm like, it's not like you can't completely change the culture in a week. This is they are what they are. The Jaguars are what they are, It's terrible.
1: Point.
0: Which I guess is not very
1: good. Which is the number one overall pick again,
0: as of right now. There was a point in the day yesterday. What a weird day, as always. There was a point in the day yesterday where the Texans, Lions—I mean, the Lions won. Texans, Lions, and Jets were all winning their uh, respective football games. Yeah. Of course, the Jags were losing because they were playing Correct. the Texans. Um, but they still can't get anything going offensively. Davis Mills tried to let him back in the game with a bad interception in the fourth quarter. I got a theory for you. Are you ready? He had three turnover. Davis Mills had three turnover-worthy plays. Only one ended up mm-hmm. as an interception. Jaguars could not
1: capitalize. Yes. What's your the good? sole purpose of Davis Mills? Is to provide context to just how concerned you should be about Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, that's the only thing that he brings to the table right now. Our grade has. We, the the
0: stats have Davis Mills playing much better. The uh, the grade has Trevor Lawrence playing better. Yesterday, six drop yeah. passes by the Jaguars right. for one, and then again the three turnover worthy plays by
1: Davis Mills. But critically, the thing is that like neither guy was doing much. You know. No, I know it was, it's, and it's bad. And of the two, Davis Mills was the only one that had a big time throw in there. Like the point is you've got this generational talent at quarterback, the number one overall pick, preordained from, like, birth, um, (laughs) the guy that was supposed to be the next Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, John Elway, and you can't actually discern a difference between him and Davis Mills, the quarterback to whom Mike Renner said the draft pick was essentially setting fire to a second-round pick. Third-round pick? Third-round pick, yeah. Third-round pick. Um, Which, by the way, is wrong. Anytime you draft a quarterback... (laughs) it's never setting fire. But the point is, that was the confidence you had in Davis Mills becoming anything at the next level. And there isn't a massive difference, if any, between him and Trevor Lawrence right now. Now, okay, Lawrence doesn't have the greatest situation in the world, you know, coach that's already been fired. Um, Receivers, like Laquan Treadwell is one of his biggest receivers. Offensive line that isn't great. All these things. It's not good. But neither is it for Davis Mills. Like, that... I think is really concerning if you're like, I can't remember if did we talk about this on the daily or is it somewhere else where you're like, how, how attractive is the Jacksonville job to the next head coach? Right. Cause that was one of the things in last off you were saying that's a kind of attractive job because you get, you get to pick Trevor Lawrence. Right. And one of the scariest things, if you're a perspective, particularly a first time head coach, I would say is what is the quarterback I'm going to get to work with? You know, an offensive minded first time head coach, I don't want to go in there and have to be like, have to develop a Davis Mills or like find my next quarterback. But if I get to pick Trevor Lawrence, the generational superstar, now we're cooking. Well, we are, you know, X number of months later into this thing. I mean, Trevor Lawrence's stock certainly hasn't gone up. I would say it's definitely gone down. Now, I'm not saying he can't still be that guy, but if you're the next head coach, if you're Eric Bieniemy or Brian Dayball or... Helen Moore, you know, whoever it is that's going to be taking that job. How attractive is Trevor Lawrence in terms of you wanting that gig now?
0: Yeah, and I don't know how much changes in the last three weeks. Like if he came out – if he if he came and balled out this week, you could say, okay – the urban factor yeah. and, and all that stuff. And he's going to finish strong over these last four well, weeks. He looks the same, but it's still, but it's still bevels offense. It's still like you said, Laqu- Laquan, Treadwell is being, uh, you know, targeted at a nine, nine, he led with nine targets. And, um, I didn't think the Jaguars did a bad job of, I didn't think their playmakers were horrible coming into the season, but you have no DJ Chark. Uh, Marvin Jones is there. La- LaVisca Chenault. I thought those, that trio could work together, but Chark's been hurt. Uh, they made some moves at the tight end position, uh, but it's it's just not enough there, so they're gonna have to spend a lot of time. I think my concern is gonna be with that whole like question about Trevor Lawrence loving football and all that stuff. Like we're gonna probably be talking about that. Are we? I, I have a feeling Why? that's gonna come up this off season. It's it's not like a love for football thing, but a guy who's just like hey, you know, I'm if I'm great at football, great. Football's not everything. Like that when the stuff that's made. Brady and Breeze and Rodgers and all those guys, great through the years, is that, you know, ridiculous want to be better? I feel
1: like that discussion's going to come up this offseason. You can't reach the point where it's like, if you're not crazy, you're not yeah. the league quarterback. Maybe. I can't. No. I just, I just wonder if that's going to come up again this offseason.
0: But yeah, the Lawrence discussions. An interesting one. He's got to – I I do want to see at least signs of life. I I want to see the special come back. Everything that he flashed earlier in the season. He's got one touchdown pass since week eight, whatever. But some of the big-time throws that we were seeing early in the year, not seeing
1: nearly as much of that. I think that's the scariest thing is that, okay, if you were – if we were enduring some form of rookie Peyton Manning season, you know, where he's like leading the league in interceptions, but at least you were seeing – Good on the other side of it, and you're like, okay, he he's learning through mistakes. You know, yeah. like every one of these mistakes is going to be a throw that he doesn't make next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. You would say, all right, fine, let's just get it all out of the way. Let's take our lumps now, and in years two, three, four, and in the future, it's not going to be as bad. Uh, but that's not happening. Like all of a sudden, he's just he's he's still making a ton of mistakes, but the the good has disappeared. Like he's got one big-time throw in the last three weeks he's got two in the last four weeks so he hasn't had multiple big-time throws in a game since week 10 I, that that needs to change like you need to say don't worry about making a mistake forget it like what what difference does it make we're already heading for the number one overall pick the number one overall pick doesn't feature a quarterback we're interested in you're fine you are playing with house money right now just air the ball out and see what happens
0: yeah yeah, I would like to see that. I would like to see that here down the stretch. Uh by the way, Brandon Cooks had uh two touchdowns and he goes for a uh, takes a screen pass to the house to seal the deal for the Texans. Brandon Cooks, he's scheduled to make 16 million next year. I mean, he's been like the best player on yeah. the Texans and he he can still play. I'm interested to see if they keep him around if he's too expensive for their rebuild. Is he going to be that Transitional receiver for where somebody they draft at quarterback, or is he going to be like a hot commodity for teams? Because he could still play. He continues to produce, but Cooks was really good in this game. They even had Philip Dorsett out there, too. It was like Patriots throwback with mm-hmm. Casario. Philip Dorsett with a 33-yarder on a nice pass by Davis Mills as well. So, um, look, I think overall Mills has been impressive, but he graded
1: in the 40s in this one. So, has take he a chance on it. impressive? A- yeah, for a third-rounder. For a third-rounder. For notes. a guy that you thought was setting – fire to the draft it's bit. all about expectations
0: impressive. i didn't i didn't think it was setting fire because any because any quarterback could end up becoming a good backup
1: or just like a reasonable player or whatever as i say his sole purpose in life right now is to provide context is to make us sad
0: how... about trevor lawrence and, and zach, zach wilson, wilson and yes. the whole thing yep zach wilson speaking of zach wilson there you go look at that miami dolphins 31 jets 24 i get a little sad watching zach wilson play <laughs> right now that's what i'm saying i get a little sad which is you know i picked the jets to cover it so did you what we, we win. We got it. They win within seven. Yeah, they, they were within seven. Uh-huh. They had some... Well, uh, we factored in the idiot Tua pick six. Man, that, that was helpful. Yeah, Tua did not play uh, a great game here. Duke Johnson, though, another fantasy star, goes 107 yards and two touchdowns. That dude always just plays well, right? Just give Duke Johnson opportunities to play football, and he comes through. Um, <clears throat> interesting back-and-forth game, though. The Jets get up early. They run some. They run some fun plays. They had the end around to uh, Braxton Barrios that looked like a pass that he runs in for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. They ran. Was was this a rugby play that they ran? Shallow
1: Um, was it a shallow cross and a throwback? Sort of. So I like this play. Uh, A lot of people were tagging me on Twitter with it. By the way, thank you. Appreciate that. It was very close to a play that I've essentially drawn up to to be you know the successful rugby play, except instead of like they pitched it very early. What you need to do is once the guy catches the shallow cross, you need to commit some defenders first before you offload it to the other guy. Now, the other thing, you need to run it right to left because passing out of your left hand rugby style is way more difficult than passing out of your right hand. So you, what you want is the cross going left so that he can then turn up field, commit the defender, and then deliver the pass to the guy waiting behind him. You could be. Have you thought about becoming an official rugby coach for the NFL?
0: Rugby, yes, NFL rugby consultant. Uh huh. Uh huh. We should pitch this. I mean, the Bengals are ten minutes away. That's true. I mean, less than that from here. We should pitch this. Let's let's get a business card going. Rugby <laughs> consultant for the NFL. I mean, little the,
1: moonlighting here at PFF. The critical thing is being is teaching them how to, how to pass a rugby ball. Or we just make this is a, this is a, we make this part of PFF
0: IQ. This will be one of the services that we sell for teams. There's the play.
1: Yeah. See, look, look, where he delivers that pass It's way too early. You need to keep going upfield a little bit. Commit all three of those defenders and then offload it so they so the twenty seven. They look there.
0: pretty committed. It looks like a pretty straight. Yeah, like 27's but that's because an they're already right.
1: heading in that. Like the ball. Look, the ball's there. It's at the receiver already. Like that. That picture is where it needs to be when you throw the ball. Yeah. Now, if you're, that's when you need to have committed it as you're releasing the pass. The problem is the ball's in the air too early and 27 there has the angle to go catch it. The, the risk to these plays is you're, when you put the ball in the
0: hands of like receivers and have them make those quick decisions that say a quarterback's used to making like an option quarterback type of thing. But maybe that's, you know, where you get the Keenan Reynolds of the world and, but also
1: it's not like it's they're making quick decisions all the time they're just different ones they're making like do i turn inside outside like yes without a ball in your hands and then no no with the ball in their hands like when you have the ball in your hands after the catch without without having to like move the ball right but why is that different it's a quick decision it's just execution of a skill
0: anyway i think i think we can add your skills to uh, pff iq and add a little consulting feature on top of it cool um <clears throat> Tua throws a pick six to a game. You know, Dolphins, Dolphins are a better team. They start to pull away a little bit. Pick six, this Brandon Eccles. terrible game by Tua. This was. Uh, the Jets were the Jets were challenging them to throw the ball over the top. Right. We've talked about this uh, underneath passing game by the Dolphins, the dink and dunk approach that they have taken for the most part. RPOs, get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, Tua forced the ball into coverage a few times. So he ends up with four turnover-worthy plays. There's, there's, a, there's multiple throws in here where there's like two or three Jets. Um, there's a picture of the pick six, two on YouTube. Um, but, man, it wasn't, it wasn't great. That kind of helped uh, keep the Jets in the game. But the Jets were not, they were not able to come back either. I mean, they, they lose the game. Zach Wilson, the, the one time he decides to throw on time in rhythm, he threw the ball eight yards on fourth and ten, like the last play of the game. Yeah. The timing and, and rhythm is still not there. He took six sacks, Wilson, on just 23. We had 23 attempts in six sacks, so thirty uh, 20, on 29 dropbacks plus a couple scrambles there. Six sacks. He did rush for a touchdown as well, but, man. For
1: Tua, there were multiple plays in this game where arm strength was an issue. Like, the pick six was an arm strength pick six. Um you know, wasn't quite far hash, but sort of far hash, middle of the hashes, I guess. Um, Quick, was it a hitch or an out route? A little hitch. And defender just is able to break on it because the ball just hangs in the air that amount of time. Like, if you're going to throw that pass against off coverage... That's fine, but you have to, A, it has to be good location, and B, it needs to get out there fast because that dude is watching you. Like, his eyes are on you, not the receiver. So you don't have time for that ball to hang in the air. It needs to be out there quickly, and it just wasn't out there quickly enough for Tua. And then there was another one early in the game where, I can't remember if it was a broken play or not, but receiver busts through the coverage down the sideline, arm up in the air, you know, hit me. Tua throws his life force into the throw, and it just doesn't get there it just hangs in the air allows the defenders enough time to get back into it like those are plays where quarterbacks with a stronger arm get the ball there and Tua could couldn't and that's the difference between i mean it, it literally cost them points in this game and was yeah. the difference between a big play or a like a turnover worthy play on the other one Tua. Like, he had one of those games where you saw his limitations in in this game. And overall, I think this season he's been impressive in terms of overcoming a lot and being able to execute that efficient, sort of patient, you know, style that a lot of quarterbacks have been struggling with and outperform a relatively crappy situation. But this was a game where you saw that, you know, if you make him make some throws that challenge his arm strength, we might have some problems
0: yeah I mean he had two big time throws in there as well they were both touch throws I mean so when we talk about arm strength it doesn't mean like oh this poor little quarterback can't throw the ball 30 yards like it's not about that it's it's, kind of like what you described right it's velocity it's uh, margin of error from yeah. a timing standpoint. Margin of error if you just kind of misread the coverage and it's the defender's closer than he appears in the rearview mirror and he, you know, he makes the, uh, a break on the ball. Two big-time throws, and he drops one in on a slot fade to Isaiah Ford, drops one in on a corner route to Devontae Parker. But it, it is those other passes that were concerning. And Tua had an average depth of target over 10. So this was one of those games where he's throwing the ball down the field more and more and more. Um, something we've been asking, right? We've been saying, what does it look like when Tua has to throw the ball down the field a little bit more? And it it wasn't great in this one. Um, And then I'm going to go back to my oversimplification in the uh, Zach Wilson analysis here. His average depth, like these are things that just don't make sense. They just don't mesh, right? Average depth of target of six, average time in the pocket (laughs) 3.3 seconds, right? Those things don't mesh. So, at a high level, could we go play by play and talk about, oh, he missed this read and, and this and that? Yeah, we could do that with Wilson. At a high level, it is just a huge disconnect between, he had no big time throws in there. Wilson is, is just spending too long in the pocket. He's not seeing open receivers clearly. You're not seeing receivers or, or throwing on time. Sometimes they're just not there. When you take six sacks and you're not throwing the ball down the field, like it's just, there's a huge disconnect. In this jets passing offense with zach wilson in there it had been better in recent weeks the dolphins generally do a good job of taking that first read away but this one it was just every time the jets felt like okay we could make a little bit of a comeback here and it just just wasn't happening but the really key
1: difference is so time to throw obviously can get skewed by you know those plays where you run around trying to extend he had a couple right of those of and yeah so if you look at like just the straight dropbacks where he doesn't move he stays in the pocket gets rid of the ball it's 2.7 seconds for wilson and in the same game, 2.2 for Tua. So Tua's getting the ball out of his hands half a second quicker on average, but his average depth of target is four yards deeper downfield on those plays. Average depth of target for Tua on those plays, 10.6, 6.3 for Wilson, and Tua's average per attempt was uh, three yards deeper. Like, he's gaining more, he's attacking deeper downfield, and he's getting it out quicker than Wilson is, who's taking forever and not making anything with it. Like, again, this is since week one this has been the story for zach wilson it's like where is this nothing is in rhythm even the stuff that's in rhythm isn't working the way it did in preseason or in college like why is this such a struggle such a an endeavor to just complete a pass
0: and so the same thing i think with with trevor lawrence and the jaguars i mean it has to be just an off season of perimeter players and tight ends i mean it has to like Bring in four players. <laughs> Bring in four receivers and tight ends. Let Corey Davis be the number three next year when he comes back. If you can from be injury. a Hall of Famer or a number three receiver, and now you're really cooking. That's what I'm saying, right? If you're Hall of Famer's number three. But, you know, Jamison Crowder leads with eight targets. Crowder's a good complementary slot receiver. You know, Ryan Griffin and Tyler Croft at tight end. Braxton Barrios, we mentioned, you know, had a couple decent plays in this game. But these are all complementary pieces. So that's a factor as well. Right in this whole Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence development, it is a factor, but you just try. You want to see how much they can elevate everybody around them, and it's just a, just a rough outing again, for Wilson. And uh, look, the
1: Dolphins, they survive. Great play in this game, by the way. Touchdown to a nose tackle, passing touchdown to a nose tackle, oh, Christian Wilkins. Yeah, lined up as a fullback. Also, Christian Wilkins almost annihilated some poor woman in the first. Blow yeah. that like, this, does uh, the Lambo leap into yeah. the thing and? You know, normally when you do a Lambo leap, there's like a whole section of fans there to catch you, essentially, you prop you up, you know, patting on the head and all that kind of thing. He like launches all th- 330 pounds of himself into the first row, and it's just some like old woman ready <laughs> to catch him. Uh, poor, poor lady
0: almost got just destroyed. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm almost 330 pounds, but I can't imagine the adrenaline rush. You know, you you score that touchdown. And
1: Wilkins did some of that stuff at Clemson. He was You're like, not getting into the stands. Like you don't have the vertical for that anymore. No, but like you, the adrenaline. You think that would that would take that would carry you up? Like
0: it, it's tough to muster adrenaline when I'm like pitching to you and trying not to hit you and stuff like that. But if I scored a touchdown, yeah, you know, after all that, like if, all that, you remember all that the all, everything that you put in into in defense and. You've been, you've been rapping it out as a fullback all year, and you know, you're lead blocking and all that stuff, and you get to score a touchdown, the adrenaline oh, rush yeah, is huge get hug. you in there. But
1: I'm, I'm just saying, I think he's got more to, more to work with than you do. in terms He's of, probably a uh, better athlete than me, yeah. I'm just, you remember that video where uh, Adam Schefter tried to do a Lambo leap? Like, yes. Ran to the stands, leapt, and didn't seem to move vertically. Like just went horizontally. Wasn't it, it really
0: didn't... cold that night? Like, how, how do you get the adrenaline if you're Adam Schefter?
1: by that like he's doing a lambo leap in in lambo he did not score a touchdown into though. the crowd you need that natural adrenaline i'm just saying that's what you look like with your vertical only obviously starting from a much higher place stop like adam shafter is what 5 8 something like that you think adam shafter has a better vertical than me I, I i think you have the same vertical yours just starts higher up i challenge adam shafter to a vertical leap contest I think you both have a similar chance of making it into the stands from, from a from a Lambo Maybe this is the challenge. We have to do uh
0: <laughs> dueling Lambeau leaps. Yeah. Can I can I get into the stands?
1: Yeah, I don't think you got a shot. Like Wilkins Go got Go ahead, and up. catch me. I don't he trust anybody to catch me is the thing. See look, the the lady on the right there with just behind him is yeah. almost just got wrecked. I don't
0: trust anybody to catch me. Dolphins moved to seven and seven in this one. Um which puts them at eleventh. <laughs> In the AFC, yeah, seven and seven. A lot of things can still change. They've got the tiebreaker over Denver, Denver, based on win percentage and conference games. Um, so now there are twelve teams in the AFC with seven or more wins. Dolphins are one of them. Uh, Raiders can join that group with a win tonight, which is just nuts. Jets fall to three and eleven. And, um, they're behind the Texans in the uh, in the draft pick sweepstakes because of the head to head win by Houston. Uh, head-to-head win percentage. So the um, Dolphins, Jets, Jets, yeah, they they kept it close. They hung tough, but uh, just not enough. Dolphins are very much in this mix, though. At seven and seven, they've got a chance to uh, to sneak into the playoffs, just like everyone else does.
1: Which beating which would be incredible, giving the start to their season. Yeah, they just keep winning.
0: Dolphins just keep winning. Uh, let's go, Dallas twenty-one, Giants six. Dallas again. I mentioned earlier they moved to number two in the seeding. Uh, because they're 10-4, and four, as are the Bucs and the Cardinals now, because the Bucks and Cardinals lose. Dallas moves up to number two, uh, because they've got the conference winning percentage tiebreaker, and uh, this one was never really close. Mike Glennon has three interceptions on just 24 passing attempts. Jake Fromm comes in, chucks some passes around, and uh, Dallas wins again with an incredible defensive effort and another yeah, just okay effort from uh, Dak Prescott, a
1: quarterback. Was it Basketball that had that skit where they're like explaining the tiebreakers and it's like five minutes of like absurdity. Sounds right. That Sounds that's right. kind of what you're sounding like about now. You know, that's that's the NFL man. Dallas is the number three seed based on the non-conference, but like, yeah, based off like November day game schedule and right. stuff like that. That, yeah. uh, that ba- I, I think it was basketball, but that's that's how you're sounding right about now when you start diving into the tiebreakers. Yeah, mm. uh, Dallas has transformed as a
0: team. Are they not? I mean, it's, it's not the same explosive offense that it's been, and now it's a, a defense-first team? Or is it just that, you know, you run into poor quarterbacks, you run into yeah, I mean, look, Mike Taylor Heineke and um, Kyle Allen in relief, you run into Mike Glennon. Is that what we're looking at here?
1: I mean, yeah. Look, when you're facing Mike Glennon, a quarterback, behind a pretty bad offensive line, you're not expecting the Giants to put up much, po- many points, and you're probably expecting him to put the ball in the air in such a way that your defense is going to have a shot at it a couple of times. So the fact that the Giants or the, the Cowboys' defense look like the 85 Bears in this game, I don't think is an indication that they are the 85 Bears as much as they just faced Mike Lennon. Um, I think the bigger point is, yeah, that, that offense has not been back to where it was since Dak got hurt again. Um, I do think that, look, Dallas' defense is good. It's not just like early in the season it was, hey, the, the Dallas' defense isn't just taking a step forward from last year. It's actually, you know, looking really imposing. It is. Like, it's legit, particularly when everybody's healthy and they have all of those pass, pass rushers on the field at the same time. You know, the ball continues to find uh, Trayvon Diggs. Um, he's doing a really good job of making those plays when it does find him. So I think that defense is definitely legit, but it it's not as legit as it gets made look when they're facing Mike Lennon. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line. I don't have much else on this one. Good for. I mean, but again, the only thing I have is Dak Prescott. Not only is he not playing at the kind of level he was before he had that calf injury, um, but which would that in and of itself would be a problem if he just wasn't playing as well, top to bottom, as he was earlier in the season. But not only—he, in addition to not playing as well, keeps making horrific plays that are, like, inviting the opposition back into the game. Against Washington, ridiculous pick six that almost turned a, what should have been an absolute beatdown into a comeback attempt for Washington. Against the Giants, there was this ridiculous late game, uh, like, sack fumble he took where— They're up they're up 21-6. So to six, Right.
0: Uh, fourth quarter, 8.32 left. And he rolls out. I mean, we're five, six seconds
1: into the play. And another – it was like the Jared Goff play a like, week or two ago. you got to know the dude's behind you, right? right you sidestep the, the pressure and then act like it ceased to exist. Like, that guy is still chasing you down. He didn't, like, vanish the second you managed to avoid him. You have to know that play is coming. So it takes this ridiculous sack fumble. And again, like, the Giants are set up again. Like, now, it didn't cost them in this game. It didn't cost them in the last game. But you're facing Washington and the Giants. If you do that in the playoffs against Green Bay or you know any of these other NFC playoff teams, that's probably going to be an issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, the other one they got away with was just before the half. Sometimes we have a slant where the... So uh, James Bradbury breaks on it, almost had a pick-six opportunity that just bounced off of him. Um, so Dak didn't have any interceptions, but it was one where Amari Cooper could have run the route a little bit better. I mean, and Cooper has not been you know was not a part of the offense at all in this one right he's got five targets for he's got two catches for eight yards on five targets uh dalton schultz is uh, leading the team with 67 yards even though you had cd lamb and michael gallup and amari all on the field um so they're they're back with all their players that were supposed to be able to you know spread the field and make life difficult on opposing uh, defenses and it just hasn't been the case again there's just a couple of plays. of couple turnover-worthy plays per game that Dak has had over these last few weeks. Multiple turnover-worthy plays, uh, play games for a few weeks now. But credit the Dallas defense for, for taking advantage of the Mike Glennon situation on the other side. And uh, We saw one flash of Kenny Galladay going up and winning, but overall he's been a, a big disappointment for the Giants receiving core. So they've, um, they've got some questions on that side as well. They faced a lot of injuries, the Giants, mm-hmm.
1: but they've just been, man... Out of sync, offensively for a while now. I wonder, Mike Glennon as a backup quarterback, does it feel like that should only be a thing if you have a really good platform in terms of everything else in the offense? Like if you have a great offensive line, if your receivers are really good. Now, okay, the Giants have had some injuries at receivers, but like when you're throwing Mike Glennon into this situation, and you're I mean, like, isn't that a lot of go? You What's know, what a lot what of backup think is quarterbacks, right? Yeah, but like if you're if you don't have If you know your situation isn't great, your backup might as well be somebody that brings some upside to the table, like... Jake Frum. Yeah, no. No, not so much. Oh. Like, an athlete. Somebody that can run. Somebody that can make, you know, a big-armed guy that can run around and just create something on his own when everything else goes to hell. Like, Mike Glennon... Was it the... I think it was the Diggs interception where he, like, broke the pocket and was just desperately, like, trundling... To the flat hoping somebody would uncover to try and like heave a prayer up like what are you Like, what is this this is this is a no win situation like the best he could do on that play was to throw an ill advised jump ball pass to the end zone and hope that his receiver won against the cornerback that was between him and the ball I'm just saying that doesn't feel like a great plan as a backup option no
0: no it's not hmm Anyway,
1: good on Dallas. They're the number two seed right now.
0: I would take Glennon in a pr- yeah, pristine situation. Can Glennon go out and win a couple games for you? Probably. Yeah. Case Keenum style. But
1: if you don't have one of those, there's, there's no point having him on the roster.
0: I know. You've got a strict backup quarterback policy. I, I get it.
1: But just, there's some strategy. You can, either, you can
0: either win some games for me. Uh, in a good situation or you're going to be a, a Davis Mills upside I just think guy. there's
1: some strategy to it like there's no point in signing a Mike Lennon as your backup quarterback if this is your offense none yeah. no point there's also no point in signing like a Matt Castle as your backup quarterback ever because what you can't play him there's no offense in which he fits right, All right now this is your Matt Castle rule Right. you know so, exactly
0: what you're going to get so that Matt guy Mike
1: should Lennon. be a coach not a backup quarterback <laughs> whereas the Mike Glennon thing, I think there are teams for whom he could be a backup quarterback. The Giants just aren't one of them. Pittsburgh 19, Tennessee Titans 13.
0: Another crazy game. The Titans went uh turnover nuts in yes. the second half. Uh, the Steelers had 104 well, how many yards total under 200 yards 168 of total. 168 yards of 168 offense. yards of total offense and they won the game. But the Titans turned it over a bunch in the second half. They couldn't stop fumbling in the second half. Steelers forced some of those fumbles, so credit yes. them. Uh, but that was the difference in the game. This was like the most old Big Ben Steelers Mike Tomlin win ever. They moved to 7-6-1. and one. So they're another team that has seven wins here
1: in the AFC, in the wide-open AFC. They're currently bottom of the division. And I think they're only a win away from being top of the division and hosting a playoff game.
0: The Titans. Yeah. If the Titans had won this game because of their tiebreaker over the Kansas City Chiefs, the Titans would have been the number one seed. What? Hmm. I can't talk tiebreakers anymore. I'm just. That's fine. It's just. It's. I'm telling the people that the Titans had the number one seed on lot. the line here. The number one seed yeah. was going through the Tennessee Titans going into this game. Uh-huh. They had a chance. They were going to get a bye. All they had to do was win out. Uh-huh. Beat. The Steelers beat the – they've got the 49ers. They've got the Dolphins. They've got some other scrub team that they're going to beat too.
1: And the Titans blew it. Yeah. Literally fumbled it all away. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Um, Also, the the end of this game was a farce. So it was – what was it? Fourth and – a long way? Uh, Fourth and seven. And the Titans complete a pass – it, Joe Hayden comes up delivers a great hit which not only stops the receiver dead in his tracks but also like wrapped got enough of the ball that meant the receiver couldn't extend and try They got and, the right answer. They got it to the right answer though. But by the most ridiculous fashion possible. So he was stopped well short of the first down marker. Like it was either side of a line, you know, a yard marker, like the the first down the first down mark was beyond whatever yard line it was. And he was stopped short of that yard marker. So he was a good half yard, if not a full yard, short of the line of scrimmage. They give him a ridiculous spot that puts him basically right on there. They bring out the chains, because obviously that's how you measure this thing scientifically. You plop the chains down. The ball is clearly, like, right on the chain. And they're like, nope, short. It was like, what? I mean, okay, he's going to be short, because at some point we're going to look at this, like, replay it, and see what an idiot spot this is in the first place but by the mark you put he's clearly at first down and they're like no nope, he's sure like I, was that new york in their ear being like dude yeah. guys
0: he's he's definitely short. Well, I you, think, you just need to call it i think two things happened with new york in their ear because the 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 first spot line judges running out there and the first spot they were going to give them was probably like half a yard beyond the marker Right, like they, the first, when they're just running out there and you're like, oh my gosh, this spot they're going to give them? Yeah. They're going to give them a first down. Then when they actually placed the ball, it was like New York was in their ear and they're like, look, you put it about half a yard forward. Move it back <laughs> from where you initially put it. And that's probably going to make him short because we think he's short. But they didn't put it back far enough after the line. So then they do the measurement and it was great. Gene Steratore's the, you know, that's analyst like card. in yeah. the booth. He's in the booth. He goes... I would pull out an index card here right. or something. like They're making index card jokes because that's what he did, you know, to test it before. Um, and then, yeah, everybody's staring. At it. And it was, like, big dramatic pause. Like, what is this? But the it was such a
1: joke t- because, like, everybody is, everybody is waiting for the inevitable replay for them to actually declare it short and move on. But, but Vrabel is looking at this, and they're like, nope, short. It's like, What? Like, I'm looking at it right now. That's I mean, it, it's down. clearly a first down. I understand it's about to be taken away when we look at it in a replay, yeah. but we have to at least go through that because I can see it past the uh, like past the stick.
0: Right, and then so had they gone to the replay, they would have moved the ball back a yes. half to three quarters of a yard, probably maybe a full yard. Right, because it was great tack, great stick by uh, by Joe Hayden, and uh, it certainly was short. Like the game wasn't. So it's one of those things where this.
1: like they got to they got to the right answer. But by what looks like a ridiculous process that, that is just insane. Like the fact that this is the way this works is madness. That's all I care about is that they got to the right answer. That's all I care about. I, the only reason I don't is because there are going to be times when they do this and they get to the wrong answer. Like it's one of those grade the process, not the results kind of thing which is what we do at PFF at some point. If I this know. is your process, you're going to declare somebody had a first down when they were like a yard and a half short. And because like somebody's ass is in the way of the replay, you're going to be like, nope, can't overturn it. <laughs> um, anyway, the
0: uh, the story of this game is all the turnovers by the Titans. Four turnovers, three in the last 16 minutes. And what did you say, three in like 11 three plays? and 10
1: snaps, I think. 10 snaps.
0: Um. Nice hit by Cameron Sutton to force one. Was it Joe Hayden that caught that ball out of the air uh, late in the third quarter? In the fourth quarter, you have uh, Ryan Tannehill just drops a snap, mm-hmm. and then they have the one uh, late, second and seven. What was the one late? Yeah, strip sack on Ryan Tannehill again. And, uh, I mean, that's it. That's the story of the game. Titans had a, had their chance to to make the comeback,
1: and even with T.J. Watt hurt, the uh, the Steelers defense man they the, made, made just enough plays. The Titans this year weathered an awful lot of injuries and setbacks, but this was, I think, the first game where they they blew it. They threw it away. Like they've lost some games before, and it's generally been because you know they just haven't been the better team or things have happened. But like this was the first game where they actually blew it, um, which is unfortunate for them because, as you say, they were headed for the number one seed if they'd been able to uh, get this win. It also just like it, it shows that like, the Steelers are a mess, and Tomlin consistently gets them winning games like this for no good reason. And T.J. Watt was back off the field, hurt
0: again. Derek Tuska comes in for the strip sack to seal the deal. I mean, look, we spend a lot of time previewing these games, and sometimes it's uh, Derek Tuska from North Dakota State, Mm -hmm. who had a really good uh, projection a couple (laughs) years ago, by the way, when we were projecting players to the NFL. Really? I mean, he hasn't been good yet, but former seventh rounder from the Broncos in
1: 2020, and uh, he makes the huge play for the Steelers. Also, like... Taco Charlton, like this was a week. you had the bad pass for an interception. Yep. Taco Charlton made plays. Charles Harris made some plays. Arden Arden Key. I forgot to mention him in the Lions game. Arden Harris Key was great. Made, like this was a game where like random nobodies that have been like a disaster in the NFL so far were making plays all all weekend long. That sums up this week. I mean, there
0: was there was just a lot of that. Yeah, it just feels like look, the Titans had this one. Yeah, and I and I do think that they you credit both sides like they gave it away the Steelers took it by making some of those plays fine defensively at least but it did feel like it, the Titans have just they've just survived man I, I wanted to give them so much credit for playing over 80 players all year and surviving and they went through that stretch where they won all those games and it just caught up to them though it's just caught up they can't they just don't have enough offensive playmakers to to create explosive offense Um they did run for 200 yards like they still for the most part they're continuing to just churn out you know Deontay uh, Deontay Foreman had over 100 Dontrell Hilliard Jeremy McNichols and again if you go back to the to the running back deal uh, the Titans are they move the ball on the ground they just put it on the ground too much Steelers still can't run the ball they have their first round running back Najee going 12 carries for 18 yards can't do anything offensively
1: but uh Steelers Continue to lurk around here, man. Dontrell Hilliard with a nice little nine for forty nine yards. Your buddy, yeah. your guy. Here we go, your guy show. Um, Foreman was a guy, didn't he? Like, was it his Achilles that he wrecked when he? I forget came the exactly, but he had he had a couple. Yeah, but he, I think he had one years, of those right? injuries that potentially takes you, you know, a few years to get back from. But at that point, people had like given up on him in the NFL, and then all of a sudden, the Titans like pick him up off the scrap heap, and he looks pretty good. Yep. He is
0: uh, running all right. So uh, let's see playoff picture here. Titans are at third. The uh, Steelers are tenth at seven six and one. So they're ahead of the seven and seven teams. Yes, Dolphins and Broncos. But that tie is looming because if they had not tied the Lions, they would be the sixth team that was is eight and six. And don't ask me to unlock those ties because no. I just don't know how to do that. Do you do
1: that in your simulation? Uh, well, I updated the simulation. A lot of things needed to change this week. Yeah, a um, lot of adjustments to the sim here. Pittsburgh still don't make it for what that's worth.
0: Yeah, I mean it's going to be tough. There's just a lot of you're close, but there's like a lot of teams to jump. They still have to play the Chiefs right
1: on their schedule. So I only have the uh, the Ravens from the AFC North making the playoffs. Interesting.
0: Not our hometown Cincinnati Bengals, 15-10 nope. to 10 victory over the Denver Broncos. Another, like, did nobody want to score yesterday? No, what even happened? I think it was Scott Hansen saying it was like the fewest touchdowns on a Sunday. Yeah, but they were like short of a few games. I know they were short games, but like the games were short of touchdowns too, overall. <laughs> and there was a lot of games on Saturday and Sunday and Thursday yeah. and all that stuff. I get it. But 15-10, to 10, Bengals win. Biggest play in this game was the, uh, the yoink, the throwback. Mm. Wide receiver, yoink play. Throwback to uh, Tyler Boyd for 56 yards. Other than that, uh, lacking big plays in this game. Uh, but yeah, the Bengals moved to 8-6. and six. It was a huge game for, with playoff implications. Bengals are 8-6, and six, Broncos 7-7. Seven and seven. So the Bengals move up to the number four seed here in the AFC. Broncos fall all the way down to 12. Mm. Two teams with the same exact record coming into <laughs> the game. Bengals are up to four. Broncos
1: to 12. Four on top of the division. Like, not just four. Like the Bengals are in first. Yeah, they've jumped to first place in the AFC North and the number four seed. The Broncos are, like, dead and buried. Oh, where do I get my Bengals playoff tickets? I if they're going to host a game. yeah.
0: Chris, can you get us some Bengals playoff tickets here? We're hosting a game, baby. That's Hometown sweet, Cincinnati Bengals. Sweet, sweet skyline. It's an island game. We can, We can go. True. Right? Now I'm rooting for. I mean, we're not rooting for anything here, but you know, a hometown it. game by the by the Bengals here wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, it was the uh, old Teddy Bridgewater with a lot of the underneath stuff. It takes the big hit, he gets hurt. Sounds like he's okay, right? Took a took a his head hit the ground really hard. Head movement and all of his, his extremities and everything was a bit of a scary scene. We had a bunch of those scary scenes in the last few weeks. I think on
1: the field, have they started to? Like, if a guy gets knocked out, it seems to be standard operating procedure at this point to, like, strap them to the board, face yeah. mat, like, all that kind of stuff.
0: I don't want to describe it as, like, overly cautious, but I do feel like... But I don't think they used to do
1: that in the past, yeah. right? If a guy got knocked out, there were times where he would come to and they'd just, like, pick him up and yeah. walk him off the field. Now it seems like if you were down and immobile, you know, if you were down and out and weren't moving, you get, like, you get strapped up and carted off now. It feels like this has been the last five or six weeks,
0: right? I don't know if something's changed just just this season, but there's been a lot more players
1: carted off just recently. I mean, the Donald Parham thing seemed like that was necessary, but sure, I, I'm not. I don't know that there was anything like Teddy. He definitely seemed to get knocked out, but I'm just. I don't know. Maybe it just seems that that has been a change somewhere along the line that the NFL is now moving to this like this uh, mode of caution that if a guy has been knocked out, we are taking no chances with moving him. So Drew Locke immediately comes in. Uh,
0: makes the right move, throws the ball up to Tim Patrick. Yeah, for a 25-yard touchdown, who just wins at the catch point. But you got to see, uh, you got to see all of the Drew Lock experience there, right? He gets, he throws one up for a touchdown, and then as the Broncos are driving in, he's keeping it on a zone read. Khalid mm. Kareem strips him. The full Drew Lock experience. The full experience. It's you not a great the, experience. You get the uh, Yolo ball touchdowns, and you get. Uh, turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. So you get you get you get a little variety when it comes to Drew Locke here. Can't say I enjoy the experience. And then would he throw it away, I just threw it out of bounds on
1: fourth and long? Yeah. Fourth, completely fourth missed and whatever everybody. and uh, you don't hit the field. Look, it's yeah. a small target. There's only 53 and a third yards wide or whatever. That's a, that's, not, that's not much. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. Those are like... I don't understand headquarters. I understand that like, you know, there is a margin of error in terms of accuracy with the football. But... Literally do or die play, err on the side of it can be caught, physically. Like if you land it, and it's not like you're afraid to have defenders catch your
0: passes. <laughs> like on fourth down, it's. I mean, it's it's just. Well, it certainly
1: yeah, it it certainly makes no more difference than it does any other time where you seem happy enough to do that. But like when it lands five yards out of bounds, it's pointless. You might as well not do anything with the pass. Like at least. How can you miss the field, is what I'm saying. On fourth on a do-or-die play, the game is over if this is not complete. Step one is just make sure it's possible to catch it. Step two is let's try and make it closer to our receiver than the defender. But, like, clear hurdle one first.
0: As you mentioned, the, uh, the, the crazy heroes around the NFL this week, Khalid Kareem was the guy this week on 13 snaps. Um, I mean, when you make a huge play, you're going to have a 94 grade. You know, when you make one huge play, but the strip and recovery of Drew Locke, you know, Kareem, he's played 61 snaps all season, only 52 on defense. And he was not the hero, but like he makes one of the biggest plays of the entire game for the Bengals. Um, it is just just fascinating week to week. Sometimes you've got your depth players that have to make some key plays for you. Um, offensively, for the Bengals, it seems like Joe Burrows, he took three sacks on, on just uh, 31 dropbacks again. Still feels like he's holding the ball a little too long. Other times, magical, avoiding sacks and just throwing the ball away. His best play was just a broken play that he did find Jamar Chase down the field, but it was a uh, holding call that negated it. Other than that, Jamar Chase only had one catch for three yards on four targets. So the best play that they had was was negated. And uh, again, it was just, it was just difficult sledding for both teams until they got Tyler Boyd open up the scene one-on-one with Justin Simmons Boyd makes a miss 56 yard touchdown you take I mean
1: not that you take that away but if you did take that play away this game is really ugly as far as offense goes yeah like the quarterbacks combined for like 300 and something yards which you know you see from a single quarterback in a bunch of games um Javante Williams continues to look phenomenal yeah. Just his ability to generate yards after the catch or yards after contact, rather, and just keep on trucking regardless of the hit. Not just with brute strength and power and busting through tackles, but also movement. And just he looks really, really good. And I'm not, they can, they, they have an almost exactly even split every single week with him and Melvin Gordon. And I don't even think it's a bad thing. Like, I know a lot of Denver fans want to see him given the full workload and you know he's probably earned it but a melvin gordon has done pretty well in his opportunities as well and b i think there's probably merit to splitting the workload that evenly and letting each guy get spelled and take the rest and be fresh when they get the next carry so they can do exactly what they're doing he you asked me last week like who Javante william like who's his comp who do you remind you of yeah and i said marion barber for those like two years where marion barber was amazing. And he had a run late in the game that was, like, full Marion Barber, where the play was, like, dead in the backfield. I think it was um, Mike Hilton, maybe, who hit him. No, Trey Waynes. Trey Waynes hit him, like, at the two-yard line or something ridiculous for, like, a loss of three. He ends up fighting out of the Trey Williams tackle, running around a bit and, like, getting a whole bunch more extra yardage. It was almost full Marion Barber. Remember that one play where he, like, ran <laughs> almost – Almost did it, Dan Orlovsky. Like ran out of the back of the end zone, trying to avoid people. Ends up getting like two yards on the play or something. But that was uh, 2007 against New England. You hear people say all the time, "That's the greatest two-yard run I've ever seen." That probably was. Marion Barber legitimately was. He forced like 12 missed tackles on the play and went like eight yards into the end zone. Yeah, like did the one thing that you're not supposed to do ever. And somehow I got away with it. Yeah, I was on the, uh, the Chris Collinsworth podcast last week, which
0: you can check out wherever you listen to these podcasts, talking to Chris. And um, on our show notes, it was he wanted to talk about Javante Williams and who the comp was. We never got to it on the show, but I was like struggling for a comparison for him. And you came up with Marion Barber. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So I'm going to go fire up some Marion Barber tape, put it through uh, side by side with uh, Javante just to confirm. But at first glance, it sounds right. Um anyway, uh playoff implications here. <laughs> Bengals again, eight and six here. They move to number four. So they uh they're in control of the AFC North. Uh do you know why do you know why they're there? No. Why? They win the tiebreak over Baltimore because they beat them head to head. Excellent. Right? But they still Simple. have to play. They still have one more game, right? Uh yeah. yeah. So Bengals schedule remaining, and this isn't easy here. Uh where did it go? They got the Ravens this week at home. They got the Chiefs at home, and then they're at the Browns. Um, so I'm not going to get playoff tickets just yet <laughs> for the Bengals. But uh, I did predict that they'd win the AFC North, apparently, on the uh, Chris Collinsworth podcast. I don't remember saying it. I think Joe Burrow like either retweeted it or posted it on Instagram or responded to it. He did something. Hmm. Joe. Joe's, Joe's listening to Steve's takes. Anyway, Bengals 15-10 to 10 over the Broncos. Let's go. San Francisco 49ers 31 Falcons 13, Niners moved to 8-6, and six, Falcons moved to 6-8, and eight, both teams fighting for their playoff lives. It was a huge game with playoff implications, and the Niners looked like much more of a playoff team than the Falcons did.
1: Yeah, and despite um, the like opening play of the game went really against them, Falcons forced a fumble. Forced fumble immediately. First play of the game, San Francisco 49ers defense stood, goal line stand, didn't get anything out of it, so that was huge for them because... I mean, obviously, it wouldn't have been game-defining, but those are the kind of plays that can completely change how a game is going to go. You know, Atlanta could have taken the lead early, put San Francisco in a hold, immediately caused some issues. 49ers hold, um, and then we're able to dictate the game from that point on. And one thing, you know, we've been – obviously, the 49ers are one of those teams that's kind of surging right now, and you're saying, oh, they're the team nobody wants to face in January – And it's largely built off the fact that their offense has got all these incredible playmakers that nobody can match up with. But the last few weeks, their defense has been just crushing people and particularly their defensive front, just getting a ton of pressure and yeah, they face some ropey offensive lines, but they are just so dominant right now. And Nick Bosa is on a complete tear, but Eric Armstead played well. Arden Key all of a sudden was like a real factor in this game. Um, also getting absolutely screwed on a roughing the passer penalty on a sack. Like, yeah. he sacked the guy, sacked him, took him to the ground, and by landing on him, got a roughing the passer penalty. Here's, here's my rule on that. Um,
0: I'm watching – again, we're trying to take in multiple games, right? I look up. I see Arden Key pick up the sack on Matt Ryan. I turn my attention to the other two games that are on, you know, so I'm trying to watch everything else. And when I turn back to the Niners game – the Falcons had the ball still. And they were talking about the roughing call. And I was like, what? I mean, I watched the play, assumed it was a sack, assumed it was a sack that wasn't a penalty, didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. And then when I turned my attention
1: back, that was – there's just too many, too many of those plays. I think, look, there's, there are some plays where if the guy – if the ball is gone and the guy's kind of late and you're landing on him, okay, I still think that's ridiculous. But sure – But if you're actively in the act of sacking the quarterback, like you are taking him to the ground with the ball, you can't say to the man, you can't land on him. Like you have to somehow find a way of not landing on the guy that you're tackling. You don't have that kind of margin for error as a pass rusher. If you ease up slightly and you like try and get your body weight off him, you might miss the sack. Like you might not complete the play because you had to try and avoid some idiot penalty of simply falling on the guy that you're tackling. Like, yeah. there was a play later in the game, it might have been Arden Key as well, where he was hitting, hitting the quarterback, taking him to the ground, and, like, trying to kind of shuffle off him and have his hands up as he showed... Like, it's the exact same play. He still landed on him, but by desperately trying to, you know, show the officials that he wasn't, that's enough to avoid the penalty. Like, it's just, it's just dumb. Yeah. I understand we're protecting quarterbacks, but there's no way of avoiding that hit. It's
0: the story of the show here. Like, what are the edges in the NFL going forward? Like, just be good on fourth and one. Just practice your your short yardage offense and defense. Practice not getting roughing the passer penalties.
1: Make sure but, whenever you hit the player at the last possible second, you put your arms up like that to show them you're not hitting. Like, what's What's the alternative? Like,
0: if you're if you're uh, teaching your pass rushers, do you just always like just teach them to like just like hit the quarterback's arm like just try to hit the quarterback's arm because you can maybe force a fumble and you're and you're never gonna land on them like is
1: there a different way to teach this you almost have to start you remember that that hawk tackling technique that the Seahawks yeah. use where it's like you grab and almost spin them to the ground you almost have to start teaching them like that you know the way you know those tackling rings you see like the giant hoop of like padded stuff and they like roll it across and you go and you go and grab hold of the giant circle and take it to the ground. And it always looks slightly ridiculous to me because, I mean, obviously a giant circle is built differently to a human. Um, But it does kind of, it almost forces you into this type of technique where you tackle the guy from the side and sort of hog tie him to the ground. Maybe that's the way you have to do it. But again, like at some point that's going to be a problem. Like you're going to spin the guy to the ground too hard and that's going to be a penalty. There is a degree to which you have to accept that this is football and a quarterback is going to take some hard hits at times, and that's just life. Uh, Breaking news, by the way,
0: Uh, Bill Belichick started his press conference today by apologizing to the media, apologizing for being short with them the other night. The uh, press conference where he was just like, "Eh." It it looked just like Urban Myers, actually.
1: He does that every like – what? He was, like, extra short. He right. was short for Bill the other it's night. It's not like that's the first time he's done that. This it's is not. part of his shtick. I know, but it was, like – it was either he was
0: a special level of frustration, I think, the other night. Um, anyway, so Niners uh, started the show. They are like, star running back Elijah Mitchell is out. Um, I almost – I don't want to say, I don't want to like, not give Elijah Mitchell credit. You know, he's had a good season and all that stuff. But, I mean, we really continue to see this revolving door of production in the Shanahan
1: scheme. So Jeff Wilson comes in. He rushed for his buck ten. Why do they? I don't understand why they put the 49ers of all teams in the NFL should be the team leading the charge and never allocating any resources whatsoever to the running back position because they have proven time after time after time that they can literally plug anybody in and get 100 rushing yards out of them. Why are they still drafting people in the second round or they
0: traded up signing. to get a trade Sermon, what in the third? Yeah, I think. or
1: or signing free agents for any significant amount of money. Why are they putting any resources at all into this? I think it's still it's still pretty low resource though overall. I'll have to take a look at what they've invested a little bit closer. If they have allocated more than like seven dollars or a sixth round pick to a running <laughs> back in the last Five years. you got to get the right one-cut guy and everything, though. It's not. You still have to get the right skill
0: set. you got to pay for it a little bit.
1: You don't, though, because they're getting undrafted guys and doing it. Yeah,
0: but they're at least like a one-cut zone guy.
1: Right, but my point is you, you're finding those guys with literally no resources. So stop putting resources plus into have, it. Plus you have Debo Samuel.
0: Jimmy Garoppolo plays uh, one of the cleaner games of the week as well. Again, Eight, yeah. Again, eighteen of twenty-three for two thirty-five. So we averaged over ten yards per attempt. So another just really good effort by the Niners. Uh, Falcons defense uh, remains not good. I would say the highlight for the Falcons Russell Gage making some really good catches. Gage
1: is really good. He is
0: good. He is good. He's been an underrated receiver, overshadowed by Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Um, he was mostly just like this ten yards per attempt, uh, ten yards per reception possession guy. With the with maybe we. Maybe the Falcons should have been better again when they had Julio and Ridley. uh, Gage, Pitts, you know, they create most of the offense through the air for the Falcons in this one. Gage up there, Mossing dudes at the catch point. Yeah. He made one catch, and you know, in my one-play scouting, Gage is a one-play scouting guy for me. He made this ridiculous diving catch at LSU, where it's like, all right, ball skills, and goes and gets it. He'll be all right, and I, and I forgot about him for a couple of years,
1: but he's reemerged. Patterson, the perfect example of how much you know blocking matters, and if you're getting dominated at the line of scrimmage, you're not going to get much yardage. 11 carries for 18 yards, 21 of which came after contact. Wow.
0: Yeah, and that's what what I wanted to look up. You mentioned Arden Key, career-high pass rush grade for him. At 85. So getting that type of contribution, Samson, Ebicam, getting all these other contributions in addition to Nick Bosa really bodes well uh, for the Niners, even against a bad Falcons offensive line. Yep. All right. Two more games to discuss. Green Bay Packers, 31 Baltimore Ravens, 30 Tyler Huntley did everything he could to try to keep the Ravens in this played a good game. Mark Andrews, 10 catches for one thirty-six, but the Packers, uh, Aaron Rodgers was was very good in this game. Again, I mean, they just kept picking on a as depleted of a secondary. I mean, every every few minutes they were like – the announced team is like, well, this is so-and-so's first snaps of the season for the Ravens. I mean, they were just putting – Geno Stone, who was a safety in college, is playing corner. Um, the Ravens just could
1: not match up with the Yeah, Packers. not even – and not even a safety of, you know, there are some safeties where you can kind of go, oh, that guy's got corner skills and he plays a little bit more of a coverage position, matches no. up in the slot, you know, does a lot of corner type of things. Geno Stone was not the type of college safety where you say, yeah, that guy's got a future at corner if you need it. No, that that's just how desperate they were. Robert Jackson getting called up from the practice squad like that week and now, okay, go cover Devontae Adams one-on-one. Like, that's just harsh. It's a no-win situation. And they're... You know, he blew a play on the goal line. And they're like, oh, the one thing you can't do is get beat to the outside. You had inside help and say, yeah, sure. That's great in theory. But, like, he didn't want to. It's not like he was, you know, deliberately opening it up. He just got whooped by the best route runner in the NFL who, you know, owned him on the release. Like, he opened him up that side and then couldn't react quickly enough when Devontae Adams broke outside. It's not like he was, you know, he didn't. He didn't make like a fundamental screw-up in terms of understanding where his leverage was and misplaying it. He just got absolutely wrecked by a guy who's a master at manipulating corners. And if he can do that to elite number one Pro Bowl corners, of course he can do it to a guy who was a practice squad player until like three days ago.
0: Yeah, Devontae Adams had uh, his touchdown last week against the Bears. Where I think it was like Chad Ojo Cinco and like all these retired receivers were like, like kids don't even try this at home, and I think to like the naked eye it's like, what do you mean he just kind of like ran a slant? But it's like the technique that he put into, he the his, his, his eyes were faking the fade, and his you know, everything is just so in sync, and it's like he's he's combining like three different fakes in yeah. one. And then he's just running a slant. And it's like, oh, it
1: looks like a slant. But the technique that he put into it... Yeah, he faked. And this was like the opposite, running the fade, going the other way. Right. He faked that fade, turned, was a Jalen Johnson all the way around, and then broke back inside. Like, yeah, you're talking about a guy who is the best in the NFL at that. When you... You know, every week you hear somebody say, oh, this guy is the best receiver in the NFL. Like, most guys cannot do what Devontae Adams is doing. I mean, if you have, if you have a cornerback that essentially wasn't supposed to be playing this year, is now covering that dude one-on-one. It doesn't matter where his help is. It's not enough. Like, if he's running away from the help, he can beat you in such a way that you are – you're done. Yeah. Uh
0: Didn't have much of a chance. And now you get – uh Packers get Marquez Valdez-Scantling involved here with some big plays. Rodgers made a few big-time throws, really – Um Flip the field on a couple. Every now and again, Mercedes Lewis is like, uh, looks like 2006 <laughs> first round pick. Mercedes Lewis. It's, it's, I'm just glad Aaron Rodgers finally has a first round weapon like Mercedes Lewis who can uh, make four guys miss on a play for a 23 yarder.
1: The fact that Mercedes Lewis and Lee Smith are still getting receiving targets in the NFL in 2021 is is really
0: amazing. But, but Lewis is another one of those. He's 37, and Andrew Whitworth is 40, and Jason Peters is almost 40, all those guys. And Brady at 44, despite last night. All that like where're Lewis has, like thrown his name in the mix like oh by the way i'm just going to be here forever and uh, every now and again i'm just going to like and Lewis make was a always play. a pretty
1: freaky athlete it's just yeah. for some reason he didn't work out as a like an elite receiving tight end and sort of fashioned himself this niche like a martellus a, bennett you know really yeah.
0: good run blocker
1: efficient of receiver fashioned himself this role as a blocking specialist really yeah. and then all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers throws him the ball. It's like, oh, he can he can still get some stuff done.
0: So in this particular game, I think you know Packers. Rodgers is 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 excellent. Um, just missed a couple deep passes here and there, but for the most part, he was on point. I didn't think the the Ravens didn't have much of a chance defensively to stop the Packers, but they stopped them enough to keep it close and give their give their offense a chance to make some plays. And Tyler Huntley offensively. You know, there's some plays that he would want back too, but man, they just made a bunch of key conversions. Mark Andrews was uncoverable in this game. He had so good. He is he was incredible. 136 yards and the two touchdowns, and that was it, man. Marquise Brown had 10 catches for 43. yards right it was just a whole bunch of underneath stuff outside of mark andrews who was like the player um not like the, the hashtag the player but mm-hmm. he was like the guy right you know, mark andrews in this game huntley also has 73 yards on the ground they didn't try to run the ball a whole lot a lot of that was huntley scrambling around and everything um and all that huntley huntley scores with the potential game tying touchdown i mean the touchdown to get them within one with no time left, with 40 something seconds left right and the ravens decide to go for two 47 seconds left, and the Ravens decide to go for two. What What'd you make of this situation? Go for two for the second time in, what, three weeks? A go for two for the, by the Ravens to try to win the game, and they failed for the second time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on record of saying I will always approve of this decision, of going to win the game on one play as opposed to playing me, for the possibility of winning it in overtime.
0: Let me tell you what I
1: disapprove of.
0: I detest – Design rollouts, sprint outs at the goal line. If it is a play action, if you run like a play action and you sprint them out, I get it. Because you're you're, mo- you're, you're you're using misdirection to move the defense. This was a straight sprint out, right? I'm not forgetting this. No, I think you're right. So, um, I think was it... Sprint think, right. Sprint right option. Sprint right. I hate sprint right option. <laughs>
1: I, mean, I think this worked. is what
0: Kaepernick, because the, uh, Kaepernick did it with the Niners against the Ravens in the Super Bowl. And I remember I remember tweeting it out nine years ago that I hate those things, too. So here's here's why I hate it. Right. Theoretically, you're like, oh, you have athletic Tyler Huntley. You're going to get him out on the edge and let him use his legs. Completely false. The touchdown that Huntley scored was a straight drop back. And your scrambling ability, which Huntley has shown he's he's pretty good at it. Your scrambling ability is negated. When you roll the entire defense with him, when you drop back straight, now you have every ex- escape route
1: possible. Was that the play where they also only had 10 guys on the field? Maybe. Because that helped. Yeah, that certainly helps. <laughs> all, like, regardless, all I'm saying
0: is when you sprint a guy out, the entire defense is immediately moving. Now, if you run play action and you get them flowing one way and then roll out the other way, that works on the goal line all the time. I understand yeah. that. But when you sprint it out, you're taking away half the field to read, and you're also taking away escape routes for scrambling. You're moving the whole defense there. Somebody else pointed out Marquise Brown was wide open on this whole thing. Okay. It was kind of on the backside and all that stuff, but maybe Huntley missed him, maybe not. Here's what I might- just can't stand like a do-or-die play
1: with sprint outs for the most part. I need to do research on this. Here was my problem with that whole thing. So they line up initially, and they basically try and get them to jump offside to try and get the one yard as opposed to the two yards, which I think was smart. Then they, they call everybody in, and they're like, okay, we still going for this? And Harbaugh was talking to Tyler Huntley, I think Latavius Murray maybe. Then he calls in Mark Andrews, right? So he's like, he's chatting to, to Huntley and, and Latavius about what the play is, what they're going to go, are we still going for this? And then he's like, Mark, over here. And you're like, okay, well, now the ball's going to Mark Andrews. Like, what are we doing here? So then you roll out in such a way that now the ball is going to Mark Andrews. So I understand that he would have been, you know, a pretty significant part of your defensive game plan anyway, make sure Mark Andrews is covered. But you couldn't have telegraphed it anymore that you were planning on throwing the ball in the direction of Mark Andrews in a, in a scenario where, where you were rolling and didn't give yourself an awful lot of options outside of Mark Andrews. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, it, Again, this is another one of those situations where I don't know if the play call was as good as the decision to go for it. I am always 100% on board the decision to try and win the game on one play as opposed to taking it to, into overtime where anything can happen. But again, if you're going to do that, you need to have the right play, and this didn't feel like the right play. Yeah, I'm, I'm just
0: anti-sprint out. I need to study that further just to see. Um, you just invalidated Joe Montana's career. I mean, look, people have caught on. Here's the thing. Montana ran it so often. Yeah, sprint right often might work for Montana. Maybe not for Tyler Huntley as much. Wow. Kaepernick when they ran it in the Super Bowl. You know, these key do-or-die plays. Like on second down, you can run them.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I'm not saying never use them. I just don't want it on do-or-die plays. I think you're limiting. So Because here, here's the other part of it, right? On second down. So if you run this on second down or third down or whatever it is, on, on, when it's not a do-or-die play, sure it could work. Guy's gonna win a route, you get rid of it, whatever it is. On a do or die play, you want to have more uh, exit strategies if the initial play call doesn't work. And what a sprint, a sprint out does is it takes away your
1: exit strategies. You, you lose the scrambling ability of yeah. Tyler Huntley. You need options on a do or die play. Like the thing that you called in an ideal world, you, in an ideal world, you have one, it's designed to go to one guy, right? And yep. that one guy is gonna be open and it works. But in on those gotta have it plays, you know, fourth and whatever, the two point conversion to win the game, you need to have a contingency plan for if it doesn't. Like if if you're running, if you're running this on third and short, and somehow they've taken away the guy that it was designed for, oh, you still it doesn't matter, right? If that doesn't work, you still have the fourth down or whatever. You still have an option on the play where literally this is it. This this is everything. If they've taken it away and you have no other alternatives, what is your plan? You're just – you're trying to create something out of literally nothing. So the more options you have on any given play, the better. Like, okay, the, the, the real balance becomes to what extent is option number one worse on a play where you have more options than it is when the whole thing is designed to, to spring one guy open? Because that's the balancing act, right? Yep. Like a play like Sprint Right option is designed to get one guy open. And if, it, if everything works, it's great. He's wide open. You hit it, perfect. Everybody walks off happy. But it's, the, it's when it doesn't, you need to have a, a viable alternative, and there wasn't one on this play.
0: Yeah, that's the only thing I didn't love about this. Um, there was another interesting uh, fourth down decision early. Um, I'm not only just trying to remember the ones that worked, but, you know, the Ravens, they, they go for it early on fourth. It wasn't even fourth and one. It was fourth and three, four, whatever it was. They don't get it. Packers go three and out. Ravens get really good field position coming off that. They score the first touchdown, seven to nothing. That was one of those examples where getting the three points, um, I mean, people could make the argument that, like, oh, you could have kicked the three-point, kicked the field goal, you kick off the Packers, they go three and out again, and then you would have driven down, scored the touchdown like you did, and it's 10-nothing. But the Ravens scored a touchdown because they had really good field position because the Packers had bad field position, right? So, it was one of those where they left three points on the table so to speak. They failed on the fourth down conversion, but it ended up working out in the end for them. Um because they played this aggressive game saying, "Look, we probably can't stop Aaron Rodgers. We're going to we're going to be aggressive." And look, I think those decisions added up to keep the Ravens in the game. And then it is fascinating, man. They're two two-point conversions away from being 10 and 4. And we're back to this maybe that's the other edge, right? Just be good at fourth and shorts and two-point conversions and all. Um, it is like these plays have maybe more bearing than ever in the NFL because teams are going to go for two more and they're going to go for fourth and short more. It is interesting how much just a few plays are really
1: going to But it's also, the I season. think, fascinating that the teams that are pushing this, the Ravens, the Chargers, these types of sides, are sticking to their guns even when they're not working out. Like, they are prepared to ride past the crappy end of variance understanding that yeah sometimes these do or die plays we're going to die like we're going to lose a couple of games this year because we went for it and didn't get it and that's okay because on overall we know that that is the or we think we believe that that is the way of winning more games than we're losing in this strategy and okay that's probably easier to do when you have the sort of job security that John Harbaugh has but Brandon Staley is a new head coach and is, is working that way. Like, the fact that teams are willing to not just not just try this, but to stick with it even when it's not working, I think is – I think says something about where the league is going with this whole – like, the analytics thing is not going to disappear because of, the, because of the bad end of variance. Like, if you go back, you know, a number of years – I mean, it's like, remember, people were talking about Bill Belichick going for it in fourth down, like, years after he did it. 2009, man. Right. Like if that, if one of these decisions happened back in 2009 or 2005, or you don't have to go back that far, that would set the whole thing back like half a decade. Yeah. All of a sudden now it's happening. Teams are not getting it, and they're still going. Yeah, we do it again. I would do it tomorrow because it's the right decision.
0: Yeah. The other the other factor here too, like if you left Aaron Rodgers 35 seconds or whatever, there is a chance again he'd you know a
1: not insignificant
0: one. Yeah. Right. Especially against this Ravens defense here. Two big passes yeah. to get into field goal range. That would that would have been possible, but for the most part, you're saying
1: now it still doesn't change. Like I mean, if he goes and scores a field goal, you're dead anyway. But at least you were winning, right? If you
0: that- if you had kicked the, the extra point and it's tied, right. there's still that same opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to make those plays. But I think more importantly, there's the opportunity in overtime, and then you're at the mercy of the coin toss. Are you going to stop the Packers from scoring in overtime? When you play the underdog role, I don't know exactly what overtime win probability would be for the Packers, but I imagine pre-coin toss, it's 55-plus percent that the Packers are going to win as a better team.
1: Yeah, I mean, the point is you're never going to have a better chance to win the game than one play from the two-yard line. Than one play, right?
0: Execute this one play for the win, and it seems like, oh, you blew it on this one play when the reality is, okay, if you just tied it up, you're still more likely to lose. Um, there is a healthy debate on the timing of it, though, with 30 seconds left versus, say, 10
1: to 15 seconds left, and what the time that Rodgers would have to negate all of this. But was. I think the point with that, the point there is that whether or not, like Rogers has the Rogers has a significant chance of driving 30 or driving, you know, far enough in 30 something seconds to score a field goal and win the game, right? But the point is that is true whether or not you tie the game or whether or not you take the lead. The only difference is. In one scenario, you're winning if he doesn't achieve it. In the other scenario, you're trying to you're going to overtime. Like either way, you're at the mercy of Rogers moving the ball in thirty something seconds to put up a field goal and win. The other part of it, though, is if you fail the two point conversion, your win probability is zero. <laughs> so that's the
0: other part of it too. If you if you do kick the extra point, your win probability is still forty percent, forty five percent, whatever it is. So your, your win probability goes down to zero when you fail it. You're putting it all
1: in on that one play. Yeah, but uh, it's the one play versus you know taking your chances. You know, as I said, you're never going to have a higher chance of winning the game than one play from two yards. Right. I got you.
0: Packers win, thirty-one to thirty. So they're eleven and three. They are in full control. Now they've got the best record in the NFL. Full control of the number one seed in the NFC because everybody else is ten and four, and they've got all the tiebreakers. There is a scenario where the Packers could win the next couple weeks and maybe even rest starters if they wanted to. But I don't even know if that's necessary with the with their potential buy. So the Packers. Uh, looking really good right now. Sitting pretty at 11-3. and three. And then last game of the week, the Sunday night football game. What? Saints, nine bucks, zero in this game. Mm. Now, look, the Saints do a nice job against the Bucs. I yeah. wasn't expecting
1: a shutout, though. First time Tom Brady's been shut out since 2006. Since Nick Seaman. 255 games. Crazy. Uh, Saints defense was incredible,
0: flying around, uh, Brady started out OK. He was off on a bunch of other stuff, and then everybody got hurt. <laughs> yes. yes, they did. Chris Godwin went left with a knee. It looked really bad. He ended up he, he was trying to get back in the game, but he's probably out for a few weeks, I believe, is the it's what the injury experts are saying. Uh, Mike Evans makes one great catch. He comes out with a hamstring injury, and then Leonard Fournette comes out with a hamstring injury as well. So Bucks were a little depleted with their starters. And then, you know, Bucks defense played great. Like Taysom Hill and the Saints weren't really taking advantage of what their defense was doing. Uh, Bucks had so many opportunities, but the Saints' pass rush was fantastic. Cameron Jordan, great game in his return. Uh, Saints just, man, they just have the Bucks' number for the most part, at least in the regular season.
1: Yeah, they really do. Um, Brady is now 0 4 against the Saints in the regular season for Tampa Bay and then 1 0 in the playoffs, um, which is. Ridiculous. Like every part of that is insane. Um, the, the weird thing, there was no, I don't understand games where a, a constant for a team all of a sudden disappears and ceases to be the thing that it's always been. So, Tampa Bay this year, their pass protection has been outstanding. It's been one of the best in the NFL. They have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Now, yes, that has definitely been aided. By Tom Brady getting the ball out of his hands as fast if not faster than any other quarterback in the NFL he's second in the league in terms of average time to throw behind only Ben Roethlisberger who was just firing the ball out of his hands instantly at all times you know Tony Romo drew up a play yesterday where Roethlisberger forced the ball into coverage in the end zone if he just held it half a beat later he had a guy wide open underneath but that's not what he does. He just gets rid of it quickly, quickly, quickly. And Romo's like, dude, just hang on half a second later. The guy you're aiming at has cleared out the defense for this guy who's coming wide open underneath. Walk-in, touchdown. But So Brady's getting the ball out of his hands, lightning quick. Consequently, that's helping the pass protection, which is incredible. The offensive line was getting its ass kicked against New Orleans. And okay, the Saints have a decent defensive line, but not to the point where you're going, yeah one of the best offensive lines in the league with a quarterback getting it out of his hands fast is going to be overwhelmed by this defensive line. I don't get how that can just change one day. Yeah. But when it does, it like has a huge, well, a huge I mean, impact. It's like, like Chris was talking about on the show.
0: He's like, oh, we talked to Cameron Jordan. He's like, if you just get to Brady early and you know, he starts thinking and he gets down on himself and it's like, all that stuff's true. I just don't think that's a... I still don't think that's a strategy. Like, um, they did do they did they did do some good stuff. The Saints they put Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport on the same side. Like there's a strategic element to maybe creating matchups as, as far as pass rushes go and all that stuff. But just saying, like I think I'm just going to beat Tristan Wirfs a little bit. This week, I think it just going to win more reps because Tom Brady struggles under pressure. That's still—it's not really a blueprint, but the Saints do have the—they have done a really nice job. It's not a blueprint, but it does explain when those things happen, like what happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is—it is a great explainer. Um, so there was there was a sequence in this game. There's a couple things, um, this week and things that I forgot in previous games. When we talk about the margin of error on a, on a couple plays, so in this particular game. Brady's best throw—he throws it up to Gronk on a wheel route, and Gronk wasn't looking for it. He put it right on his hands. Second down, third down is when Tom decided he was going to—he was going to scramble a little Mm. bit, right? Nobody's open. He's going to scramble. He juked a guy last week. You know, he's feeling good about himself. Yeah. Uh, Not this time. Cam Jordan comes from behind and
1: uh, swats it out. Right. Was one of the least athletic-looking things I've ever seen somebody do. It was. It was ugly. Um, But the turn of events of.
0: Really good throw, incomplete, turnover on the next play. The other uh, ones that I had forgot to mention this week, the Ravens-Packers game. Packers have a third and ten. Ravens get this phantom pass interference called on them on an incompletion. The Packers would have kicked a field goal. Next play, Packers score a touchdown. Terrible. A four-point penalty, essentially. Um, And then the Patriots game that I forgot to mention, too, with the Colts. Mac Jones' best throw of the game, I think it was Jacoby Myers, puts it right on his hands for a drop. On third down bomb, next play was the block punt for a touchdown, so there are i mean those are as high leverage as it gets where it 's like either quarterback makes a good play or you know the penalty or whatever it is that just um, ends up having a massive impact yeah and um, and that, that wasn 't the reason why the Bucks lost in this particular game, but as they were trying to mount a comeback and score you know a point, they missed a field goal. they have this sequence where they 're in field goal range, and Brady fumbles it away. I mean, it was just ugly. Even when, they, And this was after they finally got Ronald Jones in the running game involved a little bit. It was just an ugly effort overall by the Bucs and an impressive one by the Saints, who just play tough man coverage against the Bucs
1: and just make every
0: passing window really tight.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a really impressive performance by them. The the, the Bucks losing all their receivers, obviously, made a huge difference. Um, I don't know if it's just because I'm now paying attention to it, but remember when Brady went on this little rant a while ago that was like, the problem with the game today is that we're rewarding quarterbacks for bad play, essentially, right? We've we've made all these hits by defenders' penalties, so you're no longer teaching quarterbacks the right way of passing to the areas that protect their receivers and keep them upright. Since that moment, Brady has led Gronk into like a six-rib break injury, like just throwing him into hell. In this game, he led Chris Godwin into a massive hit, and he was out for the game. Like since that point, Brady seems to have been on like a one-man mission to decimate his own receiving core over the middle. Um, and it's like that's, that's having an impact. I mean, you can, Tampa Bay's receiving core is really deep and a strength of this team. But they've also shown that as much as the depth is, is good, When you lose those guys, it's massively important. Like, when they don't have Gronk in the lineup, it makes a huge difference. When they don't have Godwin in the lineup, it makes a huge difference. They can't actually afford to get rid of those guys. Obviously, Antonio Brown has been on the shelf between injury and then, you know, the vaccine uh, card stuff. Um, And when he doesn't have those receivers, it isn't the same offense.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it, I mean, we'll see what happens if they have to game plan without them. Part of it's like you just lose everybody in the same game. You know, and you don't have, you know, there was points where it's, it's Tyler Johnson, Jalen Darden out there and Scotty Miller, which, you know, those guys are good when you have Mike Evans and Chris right. Godwin. And it's like, hey, Scotty Miller's a deep threat and Jalen Darden might be a deep threat. But throwing bombs to Jalen Darden against Marshawn Lattimore is probably not a great strategy,
1: even though he was open. Ah, he was getting he was losing hand fights there. Darden, I think. I mean, he was open on the deep ball on one of them. Yeah,
0: maybe. Um the other part, remember this point in the Bucks' season last year, where it was like, man, they did not have an underneath passing game. In in this one, third and shorts and fourth and one, throwing a bomb to Gronk and everything, like they're they're just that. back to throwing these low in this particular game. I don't know how much you overreact to this one game where the matchups. I mean, football is such a matchup-driven game, yeah. and now there's this, there's this history of the Saints match up really well against the Bucks, right? The Bucks have. Put up thirty. They put up 31 points a game against every other team in the NFL, and the Saints just match up really well
1: against them. I didn't understand that play call at all, the essentially deep fade to Gronk on fourth and short. Um, and this isn't a Tampa Bay-specific thing. There's been a bunch of teams this year where they've been looking at, again, a do-or-die play, fourth and short, and they've attacked deep down the field. And it's like, look, those are just – Again, they're much lower percentage plays. And the, the point about fourth and short is you need the highest percentage play you have, right? Because you don't have them. Like, you can't. There's no variance. You can't, if you catch the downside of variance, you lose. You don't get it. You need to complete this pass. So simply extending the depth of the target is having a detrimental effect of your chance of converting this. I understand that sometimes a defense will give you something that you weren't expecting or you didn't necessarily want, quote-unquote, so, you know, if they blow coverage and you have a 20-yard attempt because the guy's wide the hell open behind the defense, fine, take the shot. But don't throw a fade to a guy just because you think in in, a, in isolation, in a vacuum, Gronk is quite a good one-on-one matchup here. And if you're going to, like, throw a back shoulder or something so that he can adjust, and he, but, like, just simply relying on the fact that Gronk will probably win one-on-one in a jump ball against a DB – Strikes me as an incredibly low percentage play on fourth and one, particularly when you have a bunch on the other side of the formation, which again, in a, a three-man bunch formation, simply by the route combinations, you should be able to scheme somebody open for a yard. I just, that seemed like a really bad play call.
0: And that's what I thought with with Evans and Godwin out, that it would be kind of like a, not a Gronk fade game, but Gronk, you know, back shoulders and stuff like that, because Tim and Malcolm Jenkins, and they're having a battle at, Gronk had 11 targets, two catches, in this game. Um, so they tried, but man, they uh, the Saints put it on him. Man, they did it. They did a great job. And all that said, Taysom Hill was kind of all over the place. He had a couple passes down the field to uh, Marcos Callaway. One really nice throw. One kind of underthrown post that he kind of you know gave him a chance to to play uh, to make a play. The Bucks' defense, though, did a nice job keeping keeping them in this game and holding it to nine points. Yeah. Um, but it was just
1: – Taysom Hill didn't get much going on the ground. I mean, the the run, the rushing threat of Taysom Hill, it was there. I mean, he had as many carries as anybody else on the team, but he didn't get much yardage out of it. No.
0: Um, there were points, you know, when – so when the, the Saints were getting stuffed in the second half – I mean, this is how fine of a line this game was, you know, for the Saints to just um, – just just to like get to that second score to put it out of reach. The Saints kept getting stuffed in the second half, and all they needed was a couple plays, like a couple misdirection plays. Taysom Hill on a keeper, uh, bootleg to to create some offense, just to get into field goal range um, to put it out of reach with nine points. I mean that's all. That's what the Saints needed to do. They finally did it, uh, I believe in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, it was. It was an ugly performance by the Bucs, an impressive one for the Saints. The Saints move up to the seventh seed as of right now. If the Vikings win tonight, they're you know, Saints are out of the playoffs, but um there's a chance these teams could see each other again in the first round. Like, this would, you talk about the teams you don't want to see. This is like the one team the Bucs don't want to see because yeah. at home, over the last two years, they've scored three points in two games against this Saints team.
1: The league is trying to outlaw taunting, and yet there is clearly nothing better in the entire world than Chauncey Gardner Johnson trolling Tom Brady after the Saints make a play against him. And that was before he threw the pick. Right. Embrace that, NFL. You are stomping out one of the best things in the game. It looked like uh, Brady had some uh,
0: choice words for
1: the Saints sideline, too. He went over and uh, yelled some obscenities. Him trolling Tom Brady is phenomenal content. Mm. People have tried that before, and it hasn't worked.
0: Mm. But uh, it seems to work for for the Saints. Chauncey Gardner, uh, he got the interception later. Brady forced one late when they were down two, uh, forced into coverage late in the game. So Gardner Johnson's got two picks on him this season. So uh, yeah, any other uh, takeaways on this one? No, Bucks. It technically I mean, moved to the three seed now. Again, I don't know exactly why they do have the tiebreaker over the Cowboys, but it's a four-way. It's a three-way tie at ten and four.
1: Huge game for the Bucks, obviously for their pursuit of the number one seed, but also a huge game for the Saints, who looked like they had thrown away. Remember, like. I don't know how many weeks ago but at one point the saints were the they were the team in the nfc that was chasing those wild card spots that we that looked like the best chance of getting in and then they like blew a sequence of games they had that losing streak of like four or five games atlanta um, some uh, philadelphia and then some good teams in there as well it looked like they'd kind of thrown it away you get back on track obviously against the jets that was expected but this was the game that they weren't expected to win against Tampa Bay on the road. Now you finish the season with Miami, Carolina, and Atlanta, two of which are very easily winnable. A third one is definitely there as well. All of a sudden, the Saints catapult themselves back in, potentially to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, if they if they play the Bucs, <laughs> the Saints. I, I, have you ever seen a matchup like this, though, where
1: it's like so one-sided? Well, certainly not against... Tom Brady, like, you know what I mean? Like there are, those matchups tend to exist on the other side of the Tom Brady equation, you know, like um, Jared Goff is something like eight and one now against the, against Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals. But that's because he was playing, you know, with the Rams. Um, and then you see Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or like those quarterbacks always have those absurd records against one particular team because they're playing, you know, the jets twice a season and they face a terrible team all the time I can't think of a team that's just like randomly had the number of a hall of fame quarterback over any period of time like the yeah. fact and that this is gone- just
0: this is two seasons right. it had it, it preceded Brady but in this particular instance you're talking about like but the de-
1: fact that they're 4-0 against Tom yes. Brady during his time with the Bucks in this regular season it's kind of nuts
0: and even in the playoff game like the the Bucks won the playoff game in part because Breeze wasn't great on the other side. And like it wasn't like the offense, the Bucks offense was good. I mean, to be honest, the best the Bucks offense played against the Saints was the game in the dome earlier this year. And that was also one of Brady's worst games of the year. They put up some points, but um turnover worthy plays always seemed to show up against the Saints. So um, Dennis Allen was the acting head coach for Sean Payton with COVID. Allen is getting a lot of head coaching buzz now. Not Kevin right- James. Kevin James should have been, mm. right? Why couldn't you get Kevin James out there? I don't know. That's what I would have done. Casting home run. <laughs> all right, man. That's it. Week 15. Is it in the books? Nope. We got four more games. Two Ooh. Monday night, two Tuesday night. We'll give you Wednesday off. We'll give you Wednesday off, and then we'll circle back on Thursday night for another game. Then we'll have some Saturday action on Christmas. We got Sunday action. It's just football all week. You we got to go wrap presents. It's, it's a busy week. A lot of stuff happening here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Don't forget, by the way, this is the one thing I didn't mention: twenty five percent off. NFL Pod is the promo code. Twenty five percent off any PFF subscription. Tis the season to maybe give a gift of a PFF subscription. You get twenty five percent off using the promo code NFL Pod. Appreciate everybody. Uh, appreciate you guys donating to the GoFundMe as well. Check out our Twitter accounts and the NFL Podcast Twitter. Do we have enough uh, followers there? Uh,
1: I didn't see what we have. I've already shipped out the book though. Alright, sweet. Well, congrats whoever won that we'll book. Awesome. Yeah,
0: at NFL Pod. At PFF NFL Pod. Yeah, can you get the, the name right? That Sorry. Help. I'm losing it right now. We've been here almost five hours. Yeah, Right?
1: It's a quick show. Yeah. As, as expected. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks to everybody for tuning in. The Vikings strike again. I Before the show, I was like, yeah, fewer games. Be quick hitting. we we'll be out here in two hours. Uh-huh. Play down to our competition. Two and a half hours every time. Mm-hmm. See you guys on Wednesday for the Midweek Show. Enjoy the rest of the football.